And good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe, notwithstanding that we have another human presence in the form of a robot called Perseverance on another rotating globe tonight, which is the focus of the next three hours. You know, it's really interesting. I've been doing this show now since, what, 2015, when Art conned me into doing this? Oh, and then he ducked out, so I can't... uh, Call him up and yell at him. Um, tonight is going to be, and I say this with no reservations, this is going to be an historic show. You're going to want to archive this. You're going to want to, you know, get hold of Club 19.5. You're going to want to follow what we're doing now very, very closely because tonight is the night we get pregnant. NASA has found, although not telling us yet, at the Percy Landing, ancient ruins of intelligent life on Mars. And we're going to show them to you first. And they may catch up, or they may not. Or it may be the Chinese who are in orbit around Mars, even as I speak tonight, who when they land, which is supposed to be sometime in May, they may announce what's down there. But You know, we've got three hours to go through this extraordinary story. As you know, we have the images. We have something called radio with pictures. So before everybody gets kind of comfy in their chairs, let me tell you what to do. You go to our URL, which is theothersideofmidnight.com. No matter how you're listening to the show, on the radio, on the Internet, on your rabbit ears, on your antennas, you know, whatever's poking up between your ears. However you're listening, you need to get to a computer or on your smartphone go to the other side of midnight.com. What you want to do is click on tonight's banner, seven minutes of terror, the perseverance landing on Mars and much, much more. Click on that banner. That will take you to tonight's guest page. And right under it, you'll see a whole bunch of fast links to various items. You want to click on me, Richard, that takes you to my first item. And I want to reassure everybody, particularly those listening in Hawaii, If you were expecting friends or relatives on a plane out of Denver, uh, a 777 that was supposed to leave Denver this afternoon, your friends and folks are perfectly okay. They're all alive. They're all well. They're scared to death, but they survived something extraordinary because as they were leaving Denver this afternoon on this United flight, the right engine did something bizarre. It blew up. And a whole bunch of shrapnel, including a huge cowling, fell onto the ground into a suburb of Denver. And thank God it missed everybody on the ground, including cats and dogs and squirrels. And the pilot radioed a mayday, turned around, and was able to successfully land at Denver International Airport. An extraordinarily close call. Another example of why... We have got to do something in this nation about infrastructure, including aircraft infrastructure. Now, the NTSB is going to do their usual extraordinarily exhaustive and highly professional analysis. We have no idea what happened, but one suspicion could be that something got dropped in the maintenance schedule. Engines on big aircraft do not blow up. In this case, The passengers inside were incredibly lucky because the shrapnel could have gone through the cabin and, you know, enough said about that. 
Instead, it fell, I don't know how many thousand feet. They said they were almost at altitude, which means it was like 30,000 feet. This stuff is coming down. And they, the people on the ground thought it was the plane itself. Fortunately, it was not. So for all those people expecting relatives or friends or whatever, on, on I don't have the flight number at hand. It might be in that story, which is item number one. Um, everyone is safe. They're coming toward you again on another airplane They will arrive safely, given the extraordinary statistics of American aviation. But everybody missed the big one. Item number two. Uh, This is kind of sad. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, who basically created the current political environment that we are all now living through with Newt Gingrich. Uh, Rush Limbaugh died a couple of days ago at the age of 70 from the cancer. I mean, he was a tremendous fighter. I remember uh, working with Art some years ago when Rush had problems with his hearing and we quietly worked behind the scenes to get him the right people that would give him a, an implant. So, you know, if you can't hear, you can't do radio. So he was able to extend his professional life many, many years but ultimately, the um, cancer caught up to him, and it's 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 a it's very mixed because Rush single-handedly totally changed our currently incredibly contentious political environment. But he also was a pioneer, and it shows for all other broadcasters how influential one determined voice can be. So that's why I say it's a kind of a mixed blessing because part of me wishes he was here to see what's about to happen and uh part of him part of me wishes him you know bon voyage uh like some other people that we have known that have changed history so rush limbaugh rest in peace item number three you may have noticed in the last few days the last week or so that the state of texas in a catastrophic state it's a little better now than it was uh, you know, a few days ago, but this extraordinary polar vortex, which was the kind of outstanding example of extreme weather sliding south on the jet stream, literally engulfing the whole southern tier of the United States, played particular havoc with the state of Texas. And I mention this tonight because that situation, again, dealing with infrastructure, an infrastructure which is not prepared for what is happening on the planet, um, even as we watch. But tomorrow night, it's going to be part of an integral discussion of the whole background UFO, UAP, whatever they're calling it these days, uh, phenomena and disclosure curve. Bizarrely enough, these two, as you will find out tomorrow night, are connected. So that's a heads up. Item number four, Uh, this is a very, very important date. It just happened to fall that way. Uh, The Perseverance landing on Mars was Thursday, which is the 18th. Our show, of course, is on Saturday, which is the 20th. Tonight happens to be the 59th anniversary of the flight of John Glenn, the first human orbital flight for NASA in Friendship 7. And uh, again, it's too bad that uh, John's not still around to see what's about to happen, because, of course, that was the precursor to an extraordinary series of 
NASA missions uh, in Gemini and then Apollo and looking forward, Artemis now, maybe in the next few years, and beyond glimmering on the spatial horizon, Mars itself. Without John's historic flight, successful historic flight, none of that may have taken place on the timetable to meet Kennedy's uh, deadline for 10 years to reach the surface of the moon. So John, wherever you are, wave because you're not going to believe what's going to happen on this show tonight. Item number five, one of the key people spearheading the efforts to get humans to Mars is someone with whom this audience is very well aware, a guy named Elon Musk. Elon Musk is very well anchored now in history, creating the Falcon 9, the world's first reusable space transportation system. He's building the Starship, which is going to take tourists around the moon, ultimately possibly land on the moon, because he has a contract with the Artemis program to build the descent stage for the official um, Project Artemis vis-a-vis NASA. He also has his own site set on Mars and is promising in the next few years, maybe half a decade, maybe three quarters, maybe 10 years, there will be a lot of tourists or colonists in a spaceship designed by Elon Musk and his team going to the planet Mars. So he's become a kind of an icon, kind of a pop icon. And so whenever Musk appears in media, everybody kind of, you know, it's the old uh, E.F. Hutton commercial. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Those were kind of cool commercials. Anyway, um, Elon Musk has been on Rogan's show, uh, Joe Rogan. We're going to tell you who Joe Rogan is in a minute. And his latest appearance was last week. Well, what's different is his previous appearance. Everybody talked about the fact that he and Rogan were smoking joints on the air. Oh, my God. Did the Security and Exchange Commission melt down with that one? And he must have foreseen that that would happen. So, you know, you have to ask, when you're dealing with a super genius like Musk, what is the 3D or 4D chess move that he, in fact, is orchestrating? It, you know, there's stuff that you see, there's stuff you don't see, there's stuff behind the scenes. How did smoking, you know, toking up on the air um, advance his mission, which is he's, he's managing four major, major, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, corporations, you know, SpaceX and Tesla and the Boring Company. And, you know, the, there are others that I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Point is, why does the CEO of a company like that, or companies, why does he take these risks? What's the upside? What's the hidden agenda? Well, Musk appeared again last week on the Joe Rogan show. And this time, they were kind of playing it safe. Instead of uh, toking, they were or drinking. They apparently had brandy uh, snifters, big ones. And as the program is three and a half hours, it's available Uh, on the internet. I think it's available on Spotify. We have a couple of clips tonight that we're going to uh, uh, play for you. And with that, I'm going to segue to my first guest because he's actually had a chance to listen. And that is um, our representative 
kind of dipping his toe in and out of Hollywood, Andrew Curry. Andrew Curry began his artistic career as a community public artist working with neighborhood groups. He has now evolved into a graphic designer and illustrator working for large and small Canadian companies and American companies. And he does storyboards for all kinds of commercials. He's worked on the latest Super Bowl. Um, he is kind of our connection to current media. Why don't you start, Andrew, by telling us who the heck is Joe Rogan and why should we care? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Richard. And hello to your audience again. Thank you so much for having me tonight and, and all of us here on, like you say, a very historic eve or a series of eves, I think. Now, listen, Joe Rogan, all of this came about because of um, someone who couldn't be here from our imaging team, which is Tim Saunders. He just couldn't make it tonight, which uh, we, we miss him. But he's the one that sort of alerted us to this interview um, done by Joe Rogan. And let me give you a little outline of who Joe Rogan is. So he's, he's an American comedian. His full name is Joseph James Rogan. He's a podcast host, of course. That's what we're talking about. And he's a mixed martial arts color commentator. He used to actually be involved in, um, I, I believe, Taekwondo, Richard, in his, in his young days. He was apparently very, very good until he got some head injuries and decided to retire early. But anyways, he has also worked as a television host and an actor. And he first began his career in comedy in the Boston area in 1988. So his sort of acting, performing career has gone back a long, long way. He then relocated to Los Angeles in 94, and recently he's moved to Texas. I believe that's why he and Musk weren't, weren't able to <laughs> toke up on air <laughs> the other day because it's not legal in Texas at this point. But anyways, listen um, – Interesting, interesting. So I did go through this interview, and it is indeed available on Spotify. Still is. There were some rumors that it's been taken down. Well, at least not here in Canada, or at least in my province of British Columbia, it has not. It's about three hours and 24 minutes. And the reason why people are wondering, well, what are we talking about? Well, it's because you were referenced, and you were what? highlighted. What? Yes. yes You're yes, kidding. Yes. You know, you were. And I, I, before I get into that, let me give you a couple of statistics about why this is important. Okay, in December 2009, Rogan launched a free podcast with his friend and fellow comedian Brian Redband. Uh, the first episode was recorded on December the 24th and was initially a live weekly broadcast on us stream with Rogan and Redband sitting in front of laptops just BSing. And that's not quite the word that's here. <laughs> uh, but. By August 2010, the podcast was named The Joe Rogan Experience and entered the list of top 100 podcasts on iTunes, and in 2011 was picked up by Sirius XM Satellite Radio. This is the description. The podcast features an array of guests who discuss current events, politics, philosophy, comedy, hobbies, 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 and numerous other topics. So, And it's pretty long format discussion, Richard. Uh, interspersed with some commercials on Spotify, uh, but it really it's actually long conversation. It's pretty good. In January 2015, the podcast was downloaded, listen to this, over 11 million times. By October that year, the podcast was downloaded 16 million times each month. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. 
listen, Richard, there are apparently by the end of January 2021 in the world, there are at least 1,750,000 podcasts out there and available. And there are, as of, again, the end of January 2021, 43 million episodes, like, overall. Oh, my. This is talk about a needle in a haystack. Yeah, yeah. So he is right up there. Now, listen to this. On May the 19th, 2020, Rogan announced that he had signed a multi-year licensing deal with Spotify worth an estimated $100 million. What? 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 $100 million. Good making it one of the grief. largest yep largest licensing agreements in the podcast business so everybody out there <laughs> if you if you can talk well or you're half intelligent go make yourself a podcast cuz you might be able to make some money on this but yeah it's amazing um you now listen rogan is a different dude he's he's very you know relaxed and chill but he's a promoter and you can tell like this guy knows how to present and so, Richard, I listened to the whole episode. It took a while. It's like I say, it's three and a half hours. And Musk is not exactly the most, uh, you know, comfortable guy being interviewed. When he was drinking a little bit, he got a little bit more relaxed. But um, unless he's talking about physics, he's just not the most, you know, open guy. And, you know, there was a little bit of awkwardness now and then. But these guys know each other. And, and as I say, as they sat and had had Well, he's been together. on the Rogan show, what, five times? Yeah. I believe, yeah, a number of times before. So there, there's a familiarity there. So they're sitting in, in the studio. We actually have um, um, some clips that, that I clipped for you or for, for, for the audience, actually, and for everybody of these moments. And I, let me just set it up for you. So basically, they started talking about Mars and, you know, because of the, the, the three missions going on, and in particular, pers- NASA's Perseverance. And... Rogan got asking about Mars and, hey, you know, is it true that there was a previously, you know, three and a half billion years ago or whatever? Well, Rogan didn't say that, but, uh, you know, an atmosphere and shallow ocean, et cetera, et cetera. And he went on like this. And then he segued into talking about that. You remember that? Uh, You know, I remember there was a guy, uh, you know, way back on the coast to coast with uh, Art Bell, really you know, crazy stuff, man. Oh, and, I tell you what, why don't we play the actual yeah. clip and then, and then we can pick it up on the other side. Okay. Yeah. Provided my computer is going to work. The query parameter height was misboard. Oh, give me a break. Okay. <laughs> of course. I can't play it. So let me try another, another thing here. Here we are. Here we are. Here it goes. Here's Rogan and Musk and me. It, it, it once had a, a quite a dense atmosphere, and it would have it seemed most likely to have had oceans and lakes. Um, now they're frozen and covered in dust. And the um, that orange color you see is iron oxide. So there's there's quite a lot of iron, just rust. You know, for a while there they thought, well, maybe Mars was like some ancient civilization. You know, um, Do you remember the face on Mars that they? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, there's a guy that was completely, he was fascinating. Um, Richard Hoagland, is that his name? See if that's the guy's name, but he's, with all due respect, out of his fucking mind. Sure. He was making all these incredible, incredibly bizarre connections, like measurements 
from this rock to that rock and using all this mathematics to prove that this was that this symmetry, symmetry was impossible in nature. This is all created by sure. civilization. That this face was like some sort of a you know uh, ancient uh, shrine to whatever lived there before. There it is, Monuments to Mars. Richard Hoagland, that's the guy's name. I used to listen to him on Art Bell. That's <laughs> crazy. It was just, I, I mean, I don't know if he's schizophrenic. Maybe maybe he's just smarter than all of us. But uh, well, Jamie's shaking his head. I think aspirationally, uh, you want to believe things proportionate to the evidence, not inversely proportionate to the evidence. He, well, he was definitely inversely proportionate <laughs> to the evidence. Yeah. It was very strange. <laughs> it was one of those ones where I had to stop listening because I, I felt like I was going crazy too. Yeah. He was uh, so invested in this idea. Again, maybe he's right. Hmm? I don't think so. No. I doubt, I doubt it. Well, then they, they <laughs> had subsequent voyages where they made high-resolution scans of the exact same area, and it looked very different without the same shadows. It just looked like yeah. rocks. Yeah, Mars kind of looks like, uh, I don't know, like some Arizona desert or something like that. Well, let's see. What should I say? <laughs> There's a lot wrong, but remember what Barnum used to say? I don't care what you say about me as long as you spell my name right. So how many people did Rogan and Musk expose the monuments of Mars, a city on the edge of Forever 2 worldwide? Like maybe almost 20 million this month alone? Yeah, possibly, Richard. Hmm. Now, let, let me um, add a couple more pieces. I know we're fast approaching no, the no, break. No, no, no. We, we have plenty of time. We have three hours. Come yeah. on. Come on. Well, to give people even more Besides, information. Besides, they're talking about me. Come yeah, on, exactly. Andrew. Ah. And, and if people go to the other side of midnight and go to the show page, I mean, we can get there. It's just there, There's a screenshot of how this studio is set up. And I know Ron mentioned Ron, who's on the panel tonight, said it looks like a spaceship. Yeah, it's, 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 it's your first item. Rogan in conversation, Musk video regarding Hoagland. And right there is a screen capture, which Kinthea just put up. He literally, the producer in the control room, supered on the Rogan studio the cover of the Monuments of Mars. And this does not happen in television by accident. So what is Rogan's real agenda exactly and let me so let me add a few more pieces here they went on to discuss Amuamua now Rogan totally screwed up the name he uh, the Hawaiian he was messing it up completely and immediately Musk in his nervous laugh began to go oh you mean your mama comet your mama asteroid and then and Rogan was like huh Oh, I see. You're making a joke. Like, he didn't say that, but it, it, he was basically downplaying the whole story. R- R- Richard, you want to give the your, or the listeners again a, a, an idea what Mumu is about, please? Well, in 2017, in October, on the 19th, the uh, NASA telescope in Hawaii photographed this object coming in. Uh, and when they did the uh, parallax calculations, orbit calculations, it turned out to be an interstellar interloper, the first one ever detected in the modern history of humankind. And, uh, you know, they they caught it on the way out because it was hyperbolic, meaning it was entering the system, leaving the solar system, never to return. And they calculated the orbit as infinite, in other words, hyperbolic. And the uh, observations only caught it as it was leaving, and then only as a tiny, tiny point of light that was 
flickering every 10 hours uh, by a factor of 10 as this object apparently tumbled or rotated, whatever. So all the science was done by telescopes all over the world, you know, dedicated to looking suddenly with no notice at this little point of light streaking out of the solar system, winking at us every 10 hours. And all the models, all the reconstructions, including by the chief astronomer and head of the Harvard College Observatory and Astronomy Department, Dr. Avi Loeb, who has now written a book on Oumuamua. I'll get to what the name means in a moment, claiming that it is the first obvious interstellar artificial artifact, a ship, a spacecraft, something built by intelligent entities in some other star system and the chief astronomer guy on planet earth is saying this publicly openly and has written an entire book about it and what's really weird when nasa decided to quickly name this object they went to the hawaiian dictionary of course because it was discovered in hawaii and they chose the name amuamua which nasa said means scout well keith laney one of our imaging team who can't be with us tonight, he actually went and, you know, original sources, real science, real digging, and he found that NASA was, <clears throat> again, kind of shading the truth because Oumuamua in Hawaiian doesn't mean just scout. It means first scout of a war party. So NASA projecting on a twinkling point of light artificiality Call this thing a scout for a battle fleet somewhere behind. And I'm stunned that Elon Musk, who has his fingers in so many pies, would work so hard to downplay the significance of the first interstellar object ever detected by modern science, which a mainstream leading academic on the planet has said with a lot of interesting evidence is artificial. What is Elon playing what is his real exactly richard and here's the thing from my memory of the show nothing was flashed up on the television screen or the video monitor that was up on the back wall which you could see and referencing you referencing roddenberry you know what is it again if it's <laughs> not on t- <laughs> yes roddenberry's rule if it's real it will be on television so since Rogan is doing television as opposed to radio, well, he put me on that show for a reason yeah. because he was ready. The control room actually had a graphic showing the cover of the Monuments of Mars, a city on the edge of forever. I think later in the same interview, uh, Rogan asked him about the Nimitz, the Tic Tacs and all that. That's right. And That's the control right. room had no video. And Rogan is trying to describe to Musk, who claims he'd never heard of all this. Yes. At what point does credulity simply break under its own weight? Yeah. Well, it was extraordinary. And like I said, from my memory, I mean, you know, I was listening more than watching. But when you came up, of course, I was, you know, intensely paying attention. But I don't have a memory of, yeah, anything being brought up on screen about the Nimitz and about the Tic Tac. He didn't even know. He goes, what's that? And then he (laughs) and then Rogan went through the whole 2017 uh, you know, article that came out talking about unidentified aerial phenomenon and then the recent Tic Tac videos. And he goes, oh, okay, really? And then um, the only other image that I remember coming up was an image of Elon Musk's roadster 
which he immediately said, you know, they, they, you know, his producer brought it up on the screen and he said, yeah, it looks fake, doesn't it? But <laughs> I, I think what he meant is that it's so bright on it that it just looks so crisp, but he had a camera. He goes, yeah, my, my director of photography did a really good job. It was very odd, Richard. Mm. But what I'm saying is that, that he had elevated. Okay. Hang on, hang on. We are at the yeah. uh, bottom of the hour. We'll get back to this in a moment, but it's just too cute for school. Why is Elon Musk talking about Richard C. Hoagland? Giggling. Agreeing with Rogan that, you know, I got to be schizophrenic. He couldn't listen to me because he's driving him nuts. Well, Joe, if you're listening to tonight's program, it will complete the job because we have, in fact, discovered, confirmed, intelligent life a long time ago on Mars. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. I'm not 
everyone to the other side of midnight for Saturday night February 20th the 59th anniversary of John Glenn and Andrew you have the floor again yeah uh, so on it goes 
Musk, uh, you know, just doesn't know anything about the Tic Tac videos or the Pentagon releasing documents that and video that show that, hey, you know, we're dealing with something that's unusual in the skies. And he calls a Muamua, who's your mama, asteroid or comet or word or whatever he was saying and just dismissing all this stuff. Nothing comes up on screen. The only thing that comes up on screen to sort of match your book, which was interesting, by the way, um, one of the things, Richard, we missed it at the end there that um, Rogan said at the end is that he turned to the camera and said, maybe Richard Hoagland's smarter than all of us. So, you know, despite him using some flagrant language and some silly, you know, you know, comments, that's his style. You know, I, I sort of spoke to you about this before that, you know, I don't particularly like some of the things that he says, and it's a little rough, uh, but it's very interesting, again, how he highlighted it. And he seemed to know the details of the re-imaging of the face. I just realized that when we were listening, how he intricately knew it. In other words, he did his homework, um, Richard, before the show. Oh, nothing was accidental. Come on, nothing in television is accidental. FDR said decades and decades ago that in politics, nothing is coincidence. So this was planned. The question is, why was it planned? Exactly. Well, let's let's go on. So your book and your, I think, believe the website was sort of brought up on the screen, you know, highlighted like his roadster with, you know, there's a camera. He was describing how there's a camera mounted yeah, on the front uh, of Let the... me interrupt, Andrew. If people click yeah. on the link which says Rogan in conversation, Musk, there probably yeah. should be a with in there. Uh, that yeah. one works. The image itself <clears throat> can be asked to fix a bug in the linkage and then that okay. will work and it will take you to that sound file. And uh, or, or video, I think it's video, and so you can actually watch this for yourself or listen. Yeah, yeah. And so um, one of the things that uh, Elon also said was that his roadster. I, I need you. Well, we probably need you to describe what the roadster is doing right now, what that's all about, because he mentioned it's close to Mars. <laughs> this is one thing he said. So can you describe to the audience about well, the roadster? Well, you know, uh, yeah. Musk is this incredible rocket factory. You know, where NASA takes 10 or 20 years to build a mission, you know, Musk does it in like five. So he developed a super booster called a Falcon Heavy, which is basically three uh, Falcon 9s strapped together with, you know, whatever. And he's able to launch a lot of payload, huge amount, bigger than anything in the Air Force or the NASA uh, arsenal up until the uh, SLS system, the huge kind of Saturn V clone there NASA's now building comes online. Anyway, he was going to do a test launch. And again, because he's this incredible showman, instead of putting concrete in the nose cone to simulate the mass of something he'd put into space, he decided to take his little red Tesla Roadster and launch it into solar orbit. And I mean, people went bonkers. You know, the, the Musk fans cheering the Musk haters, you know, like the Hoagland haters. Oh my God, he's nuts. He's nuts. Schizophrenic was the term. That term was used, wasn't it? Okay. Um, oh, well, compared to the one they tried to kill me for this stuff, that's kind of pale. Anyway, so Musk does this. He launches his own car into solar orbit, not to Mars, but into a long elliptical orbit, which will cross Mars every couple of years. And I think a few years ago, a couple of years ago, it passed within like 5 million miles. The calculations are that it will not impact Mars or Earth for the next several million, by which time someone, probably Musk, will go out, retrieve it, 
and it will wind up in the Smithsonian. Anyway, that's the backstory on the roadster. Yeah, and Richard, so in a way, he's put a hood ornament <laughs> on his rocket, which is a car. Yeah. I mean, it's ama- it's amazing. And can you describe what's in the glove compartment? Oh, because yes, yes, it's yes. It's going to yes. lead to our next clip. He 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 he, he put this uh, robot, this wearing a spacesuit, you know, the ultimate SpaceX spacesuit that the astronauts now are wearing going to and from the space station. And then he had some GoPros scattered around the uh, vehicle so that when it was popped out of the nose cone and left in orbit, you got these amazing video images. We actually put one up on our site where you could click on it and see live downlink video of the Roadster and the sun going by as it rotated slowly and the Earth going by and getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, very dramatic. Musk is a showman. In the glove compartment, of the Roadster, he carefully, from another friend of ours, uh, who I've had on the show, uh, his first name is Nova, he actually sold Musk on the idea of taking a set of quartz discs, which will last forever, which were in etched with Isaac Asimov's three-volume Foundation Trilogy, which, as I've said on the air many times, I think is a kind of a CAT scan of our ancient history on Earth and the solar system and galactic federations and what humans do and all this. It's kind of like the compendium of the past and the future, which we're headed to at Warp 9. As they say in the movie Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the world, Musk puts Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy in the glove compartment of the Roadster, which will last forever as long as the Roadster is orbiting the sun. Even after the Roadster is dust, those little glass disks will survive for maybe a billion years or more. So Isaac Asimov, who used to think of himself as my surrogate father, that's a long story when I was at the museum in Springfield for another time, also was a hero of Elon Musk, according to Musk's own words. And so there's multiple nexus points between Alon and me. I wonder if I can get him on the show now. <laughs> and item number two, everyone anywhere in the world who wants to see this happen, if you send a note to Rogan, tell him, you know, since you dissed Hoagland, it's only fair you have the schizophrenic on your show to describe what he has found. I would encourage it. I would encourage it because as Will, hey, Richard, as Will said, Rogan is huge. And as we outlined tonight, he's monstrous and podcasts are amazing because you can take them anywhere with you. Now, listen, um, on that note, we have a second clip. But before I, I sort of outline, I want to add one more piece in here because I know we got to move on. But his wife, her name is um, Claire Elise Boucher. She's from my, my city, Vancouver. Now, she goes by the name Grimes. Now, she's a, a musician, a singer, songwriter, record producer, music video director, and she's also a visual artist. She's actually pretty good. And she's married to uh, Musk. She has a very interesting background, by the way. One of her parents was in international banking, and I believe the other one's a scientist. That She was raised by her grandmother. Anyhow, it's a whole long story. It's very interesting. Chris Knowles knows all about her. She's kind of one of these sirens, you know, that <laughs> – is connected to this very strange esoteric system that we see unfolding all the time. 
But listen, she came on social media with another with with an American rap artist named Lil Uzi Vert, who I have actually um, shown some of his work on this show because he sings all about visiting aliens or gods that come down of the whole cargo cult concept. Well, these two had a little back and forth back on February the 8th, just a few days ago, announcing their plans to simultaneously get brain chips implanted. Oh, that's right. Musk is working on the Neuralink. Yes. Yes. And they both were talking about getting it together. This is his wife right now. It's being used. Well, again, Richard, do you want to give a quick, um, a quick note about what the Neuralink is. Well, he basically wants to wire the brain so that for paraplegics and people yes. with incredible handicaps, instead of using a little pencil to tap keyboards or blinking your eyes, you'll just think at the computer and it will pick up every signal and properly execute commands. And it will give extraordinary freedom and communication to a whole subgroup of you know, people who have suffered egregiously It'll bring them back into connection with humanity and with people they love, et cetera. So it's an incredibly positive aspect. It also has some really curious and negative downsides. Yeah, and one of the ex- part of their exchange was Grimes, his wife, said, hey, we're going to be able to communicate with the gods. You're kidding that's what she tweeted out. So talk about <laughs> schizophrenia. Anyways, moving on from that, this is the woman he's married to. So, hey, there's a lot going on here. Now, a little bit after the clip of, you know, talking about you, Richard Hoagland, in the solar system with, you know, Mars can't have anything. No, 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 no. It's just dust and it's, you know, super ancient and it's, no, no, it's dead. It's dead. Well, a little later on, I believe they started to talk about you know, traveling to other solar systems. And at that point, a very interesting line of discussion came up. And I lined up another um, clip for you. It's very short. It's another couple minutes. And you'll, and I call it the planetary ghost towns because that's, <laughs> yes, Richard. And they literally talk oh. about when they can visit other, because, you know, um, uh, Rogan says, "Hey, when do you think we'll be able to go to other star systems?" And they were discussing this. You know, this is this is part. These are possibilities, etc. And when we do, you know what? We might run across ancient, old civilizations on planets. It'll, it's like it's like ghost town. Oh, planetary. what a concept! Yeah. Wow. Okay, here's here's the planetary ghost towns. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's also it's be fun and exciting. And even if you don't go, you can just watch it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, like, know. yeah, I mean, you, you know, but like, you know, attendance is mandatory here, uh, you know, and uh, it'll be dangerous and people might die. Well, for sure they're going to die. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's right. Some people think that uh, the idea is like, oh, Mars is going to be an escape hatch, some luxury resort for rich people. I'm like, no, it's like high probability of death, relative to Earth, uh, long journey, food's probably not great, uh, a lot of hard work. No sunlight. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like it sounds like you know Shackleton's ad for the Antarctic, where it's right. like it's like it's dangerous, it's a long journey, the food's bad, you know, might not make it back, but if you do, it'll be glorious. Yeah, it's interesting how much people adapt when they're faced with a real problem. 
like if we knew that we only had a certain amount of time left, like we knew an asteroid was absolutely headed our way and it was going to kill most of the people on this planet, you would see people scrambling for something like that. Yeah. Like, look, uh, I moved to Texas just to get the fuck out of LA because I felt like that was dying. I was like, we got to get out of here. And I never thought I was going to move out of LA. Yeah. It happened very quickly, but people adapt when they realize that this is, you have to do something. Yeah. If we had to do something, we had to go to Mars and had to set up shop there. Yeah, I think it's important for the future of humanity and consciousness. And like I said, we already get past the great culture. You know, it might turn out that when we're when we got there exploring the galaxy, we might find a whole bunch of dead one-planet civilizations. Mm. You know, and they were just they just never made it to the next planet. And ghost then, towns. Yeah, strange ghost towns of like, you know, it's like if you, you know, we're, we're like we'll go through the archaeological ruins of like like ancient Babylonians and Sumerians and like you know and like trying to decode their writing like what the hell linear yeah. be and it, and hieroglyphics and isn't that a know. problem with us now that everything has become digital everything's stored on microchips and hard drives and you know if something catastrophic happened yeah and you don't have the ability to access all that stuff we're kind of starting from scratch yeah absolutely um it's kind of problematic that things aren't chilled in stone. You know, they used to yeah. be chilled in stone. And like, okay, now, you know, it's kind of a pain in the ass to destroy stone, and the stone lasts a long time. Yeah. So we still have a lot of writing from the ancient Romans because they chilled a lot, a yeah. lot of stuff in stone. Or the Egyptians. Or the Egyptians, yeah, exactly. Man, the, the Egyptians really went to town with the hieroglyphics. Uh, even the Sumerians, you know, the cuneiforms yeah. carved in the clay tablets. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I kind of wish they'd said more. Yeah, exactly. Like right. us, and like, our stuff is not going to last for a long time. Well, Andrew, would we call this if you were a psych? Actually, you do have a psych degree, don't you? No, 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 I don't. No, I have an, I, I'm a, a master's diploma in art therapy. Okay. I'm not allowed to call it a degree because, uh, anyway, it's politics. My but, point is, yeah. that seems to me to be an incredibly classic example of what they would call displacement. Yeah. Or. Quoting the Red Queen, jam yesterday, jam tomorrow, but never ancient ruins in our own solar system, but safely light years away. So NASA and the government and the feds and the deep state or whoever is preventing him from taking any of this on the air seriously will not come after him. This is nuts. This is just nuts. Talk about schizophrenia. Well, one more piece, Richard, and I I, listen no, this is important because it's context. Yeah. It's not my ego, but remember yeah. Roddenberry's rule. The name of the game to get ruins taken seriously is to be mentioned by people who are major icons in the media universe. Well, lo and behold, right at this moment, just days before Percy lands, and we're going to show you the stunning ruins that they photographed and sent to Earth, Elon Musk, the richest man on the planet, trying to drag us kicking and screaming to land on Mars, who apparently doesn't know anything about what Mars really is, has a discussion with a guy who says, hey, who can tell you something you don't know? Yeah. It's nuts. Uh, it's so nuts. It is. And, and listen, what, you know, coming back to the Neuralink, because a number of times they sort of moved into what is the meaning of life? Now, Rogan never took advantage of this. Because oh, one of the, what a question. Yes, wow. One of the, yeah. And one of the things that 
Musk was alluding to was that, well, this is my interpretation, is that he was basically saying we need to become enhanced so that we can begin to formulate the right kind of questions about what the meaning of life truly <laughs> is. Yeah, I mean, holy smokes. Put that in context with his wife, Grimes, talking about Neuralink and discussing having or having a dialogue with the gods. And the gods? I mean, come on, boys and girls. Are we deaf, dumb, blind? And do we believe every surface thing said in media? No. There are levels and layers, and this is definitely 3D chess. And we're at the end game. The end game. Okay, so let's go. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to some other stuff that you've got for us, but let's go back to my section. Remember how you get there? You click on the Richard link right under the banner for tonight's show, Seven Minutes of Terror, which is how NASA describes the entry of spacecraft into the Martian atmosphere, and I've done this for decades. You want to click on my links. You want to go down to number six. We have posted tonight the Mars 2020 Perseverance Landing Press Kit. Everything you want to know, and there's a there needs to be a space between E and L for you know perseverance and landing. Everything you want to know is available there about the mission and all the stuff they are officially planning. Then what you want to do is you want to click on number seven because this is the first image. Click on it; it gets much bigger. Oh, that's gorgeous! Wow. And this is the first color hazard camera image downlinked to Earth uh, from the Percy spacecraft. We're going to call her Percy for quite a while now, uh, soon after touchdown. And it's stunning in its – well, Andrew, as the artist here, why don't you tell us why I'm really jazzed by this first image? Well, two things. Well, I, I called this – you've created an ambiance, like a landscape ambiance through this, or this is what we're seeing. I mean, the the first thing that hits me is the sky. It's blue. Yes! <laughs> yes! It's not salmon. It's not red. It's not blood red. It's not pink. It's not chartreuse. It's blue! Yeah. I mean, in yeah, 76, it... NASA started screwing with the sky color of Mars per order of the NASA administrator, James Fletcher. I was a JPL. I watched it all unfold. I describe it in uh, oh, a very famous book that a guy named Rogan just mentioned, the monuments of Mars, blow by blow. After all these decades, NASA has finally put out a picture of Mars showing Mars as it really is. Yeah, and you can see the atmosphere as we move to the left of the image over the horizon. And which camera is this again? These are the Hazcams, the hazard cameras under the deck. There are two of them left and right. This is one. I think it's the one on the left. You can see the, you know, equipment hanging on the on the left yeah. there. I think that's part of the sample arm. Um, so they only, you know, they're like putting their toe in the water. Just a yes. little bit of tease, tease, tease. The next few days are going to be stunning because this afternoon on Earth, real time, they raise the real camera's mast called the mast cam, which has not only uh, incredibly better cameras, uh, 1,600 lines from left to right. It also has zoom lenses, which they're claiming from a distance of a football field could look down the field 300 feet and could see a fly sitting in the end zone. 
a fly. What we're going to talk about in a minute is kind of less than a quarter of a mile away. Can you imagine just sitting there what this mass cam instrumentation could do on Perseverance between now and Monday when they take their first ban? Is that when NASA is going to have to bite the bullet and announce what they've landed right next to? Stay tuned. Go ahead. Yeah, and Richard, don't forget the helicopter. Can you describe that? Oh, yes. Underneath the belly of Perseverance, there's a little gadget, four pounds, called Ingenuity, which is a helicopter. Their plan is the next few solves, about 60 Martian days. They plan to drive to where they're calling, you know, a flat area called the helipad, (laughs) which they haven't picked out yet. And then they will drop the, uh, actually carefully deposit, Ingenuity on the surface on its four very bouncy little legs. They will then back the rover off about 100 feet, and they will, using remote commands from the rover to the computer in the helicopter, they will spin up the rotors to something like 3,000 RPM because of the incredibly thin atmosphere of Mars. At the surface, it's equivalent to about 100,000 feet on Earth, and we will get our first images and video from a active helicopter flying on Mars. Now think of this. They could take that helicopter and they could fly it right to the ruins and take aerial slash drone imagery and video close up of these stunning, startling geometric things that are visible when you simply magnify the image that's currently up on the screen, which on cue we're going to do, because you're going to go now back to the uh, guest page, go to number eight in my items, click on that. This is a comparison side by side of a clip, an enlargement of a section of that Hascam panorama uh, on the far left. And then the image on the right is a uh, enhanced version of the same image. And if you look even casually, you'll see a whole bunch of lines and shadows and 3D geometry, which in fact are yeah, geometry does not, does not do this at all, at all. Hey, we are um, running out of time here. We're at the break. So let's, let's pause and we shall return as soon as We've reached the top of the hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. 
To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. And we are back on the other side of midnight. Extraordinarily interesting and historic evening because NASA has taken an image and downlinked it to Earth from the Percival mission. And it shows ancient geometric ruins, literally within striking distance of the rover. Andrew? Yeah. Oh. Yes, sorry, Richard, I was on mute there. Um, no, amazing. Uh, I can see it, and I know, you know, when I put it on my big screen, it was like, wow, I'm seeing this geometry. Again, the straight lines, you know, possibly like you had mentioned to me, maybe rebar. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, this, is this any surprise to us? <laughs> no, all of us schizophrenic people, we know what we're seeing. <laughs> Well, you know what? There's a lot. There's a lot, Richard. There's a lot here on this panel. There's there's a lot out there in the audience, and there's a lot of different and, and space anomaly groups that are digging up the same stuff in these images. So there's a lot of us in this club. Okay, let me introduce the rest of our folks tonight. Uh, members of the imaging team. Robert Harrison is with us from uh, Britain. He's been a keen investor. He actually was able to retire early and devote a lot of time and attention to Sidonia. He set up a site looking to, you know, either confirm or disconfirm our work called Sidonia Quest. And it's uh, remarkable. You really want to go. He has done extraordinary work uh, over the years. There's huge amounts of data there, stunning uh, NASA and other imagery, ancient arcologies. I mean, there's no doubt based on the work of all my colleagues that what we know is there, Mr. Rogan, is there. And yes, we seem to have been a bit ahead of the curve. 
Our next panelist is Ron Gerbron. He's a friend of mine, generalist. He is, uh, oh, involved in both image processing. He's an archaeological devotee. He's been matching artwork we've been seeing on the uh, curiosity imagery with, among other places, ancient. When you say that on Earth, it's not really that ancient. You know, a few thousand, few hundred years. Ancient comparisons between the Martian art we found and Mayan art, which is here on the ground. And, of course, Keith Morgan is waiting in the background. He did the infamous um, uh, Morgan curve, which proved mathematically, Mr. Rogan, pay attention, that Sidonia is real. By the way, the one thing that Rogan got really, really, really wrong, I didn't measure geometry between rocks. I measured it between arcologies that are miles in diameter and occupy a space on Mars bigger than the island of Manhattan. So he needs to do a little more homework there. And then last but certainly not least is Kinthea, who is our executive producer. She produced the first actual three-dimensional image of the face on Mars and proved, even before Mark Carlotto, using digital techniques with her analog, you know, bit of clay here, bit of shadow there, thousands of hours of trial and error to get the angles and the lighting and the shadows all right. She proved that the face on Mars was a three-dimensional, mile-long, 1,500-foot-high statue back in 1983. So we'll add her to the list of uh, schizophrenics. So who wants to go first? Hey, hey, Richard, you forgot me, Will. Oh, I'm sorry, Will. Well, I don't, I don't think my bio's up there. I don't exactly. <laughs> I'm looking at bios, and all right, Will is is essential because a he's a lot younger than us old duffers. B he has a global network of anomalists who obviously are going to be now pouring through every frame of Percy imagery that is downlinked, and of course, if it's there. They will independently find it and confirm it, which is what science is, regardless of what the authority figures try to tell you about reality. Just look at the images. And he also does some really good imaging himself. He has a website called What's Up in the Sky. Did I, did I forget anybody? I okay. think that's it, all of us. <laughs> okay. All right. So who wants to take up the cudgels and talk about Percy and what's on those images? Hey, I'll talk for a minute while, I'm, while I got my mic queued up. You know, I, I'm willing to talk from Yazaro oh, Crater. <laughs> I know that uh, I was watching something today and I, I was saying it wrong. Apparently, it's Croatian and uh, Slavic for lake. Yes. Yazaro. You, you, you pronounce it with the Y. Yazaro. Oh, it's not J. It's Ya. Yazaro. Yeah. That's how they say it in uh, the Slavic oh, okay. terminology of it. But it means lake. Basically, it's, that, it's an ancient lake bed from what they're saying. So it's everybody's pouring over this data. You're right about that. Like every single person I know, I went to make a video today. I haven't made one in a really long time. And I was like, everybody was already on it. But literally pouring through those, those data, the, the color image was pretty amazing. It, it doesn't say that it's been white balanced. It doesn't say like I read through that, that planetary database Wherever they put it out is their image of the day, basically the PIA. Well, of course, I am downlinking and recording all the NASA briefings. The next one, by the way, is going to be at midnight, midnight, at noon, my time, mountain time, um, uh, or, yeah, and 11 o'clock Pacific on Monday morning. They will have downlinked a whole lot more video 
from the EDL, from the entry, descent, and landing. There may be sound effects from microphones that heard the explosive bolts popping and the parachutes <laughs> popping out. Of super, I mean, incredible full court press. Back to Roddenberry's rule, if it's real, it will be on television. And they're going to have more color still images, including the first mass cam shots. And what do you think are the odds they're going to take a look in the northwest direction at the ruins? And if they don't, a whole bunch of people all over the world are going to inundate them like we did with NASA by fax decades ago. For God's sake, take photographs in the northwest direction of the horizon. I think they plan a 360. That mass cam, that that, yep. that new mass cam, has got a 360 view all the way full up, full down too. So it's it's and it's, it's got really zoom exciting. lenses, which yeah. um, which what's it? Who who did Titanic? Um, producer, producer, come on, Cameron, James um, Cameron, Cameron. He wanted to put a zoom lens on Curiosity, and they claimed they weren't ready. My theorizing is they weren't ready in terms of the timeline. This is a ritual calendar. You can only disclose when surf is up. Percy is the is the mission, not curiosity. So they bumped the zoom camera, which would have seen too much. It's now there are two zoom lenses on the super high res cameras on the mast, which can spot a fly a foot field away. I can't wait for Monday morning. It's going to be exciting. And NASA made a point to point that out in about every one of their press releases, too, that they had the Zoom with the fly and the Yep, the yep, football. yep. Now, here's another Great. data point. Uh, I, I watched and recorded the, the briefing on Friday morning, the day after landing, where they popped up this color cam image, and they went out of their way, Will. You're very perceptive. They went out of their way to point out they had done nothing to the image. It was a total raw image downlinked and put up immediately with zero processing, which means NASA is saying what you see is what you get. No white balancing. Usually they'll say this has been white balanced, which means basically it, it's been turned to look like it would, they say here on Earth. But yeah, that was pretty. And, and all the anomalous, they were just going crazy. I think all the groups <laughs> literally lit up. So Everybody's excited again. It's, it, we needed something like that kind of brings a lot of us back. Well, in you, know, fold, you know, when when, when, I, when I bring in Ron, we'll be momentarily. Uh, he'll tell you that I've been bugging him for like a week. Find me the closest ruins on MRO to the lander. Find me the closest ruins. So we could put up maps and say, hey, guys, go drive that way to find ruins. Denver, in my wildest dreams, did I think they would barrel in at 13,000 miles an hour, zip the parachute open at 1,300 miles per hour, supersonic, <clears throat> land on a dime with their new terrain uh, uh, mapping um, imaging. So they actually had a map in the computer to compare to where it was safe and not safe and where it was level and then land right next to a set of ruins. Come on. This is not by accident. This is by design. In the high-rise image, you can see it clearly um, as they're coming in. There's all – I mean, they literally could have landed anywhere there and found something amazing to see. So yep, yep. very exciting time. In fact, um, speaking of high-rise, let me scan down here. If you go down to – you want to click on – you want to click on Will's items, uh, number one, Perseverance Descent. Remember, under the banner at the top of the page, 
click on Will's items, takes you down. Number one, click on it, makes it much bigger. That's a wide-angle black-and-white high-rise image with an inset on the right-hand side blown up with some noise of the little Perseverance in its aero shell just after entry. The parachute popped out, this huge supersonic parachute that they literally went to 100,000 feet with rockets here on Earth to test the new parachute, and they uh, got it. They had to aim the cameras on the spacecraft, the spacecraft's moving at thousands of miles an hour, it's 400 miles distance, it's like, you know, shooting a duck across, you know, a city, a big city like LA, and bingo, they got it on the first try, and this is all history, because look at the landscape around it. Look at that landscape. What else is down there that we're going to see in close-up, because my political projection has been for months and months and months, Percy Perseverance is the mission where NASA has to come clean. And this first Hascam color image is an extraordinary positive step in support of the theory. Will? That's it. That image right there will tell you, if you go straight south or straight down in and over, it doesn't matter where they go. They can literally – drive that thing in any direction uh, and they're going to smack something and this is great that they actually caught this right this is like the one in a billion shot to, to program this this high rise to take this image at the exact same time they tried to do it with curiosity i think they failed they, no no they no no no, no no the curiosity image is up there on the curiosity site okay they did get it in the air yep. i thought they didn't get it till no, it got down on the ground no no they got it in the air wow they're very very they're... good when they want to be very good <laughs> <laughs> and when they are not they are horrid <laughs> Well, it's an exciting place. There's all sorts of good stuff to look at. From what it says, this is a uh, this is 28 mile wide crater that, that we're looking at the lake bed. They said so, plenty of room to go. See, the ruins I think we're seeing, and this of course is total speculation, um, are. And by the way, everybody reload your your uh, other side of midnight page because we don't have automatic reloading in the program tonight. So you got to frequently reload because we're adding stuff. Kintia is doing. I think we have Will's bio up there now. I will reload and take a look. Um, anyway, well, you got another picture there. Yazero Crater number two. This is another uh, close-up from the other side of the panorama. And what are we seeing in this one? You know, interesting shapes that we want to go see. Now, they said this, when you get them blown up, this wasn't the biggest picture in the world. The pixels weren't amazing. This was one of the, I guess it would have been, it's it's the rounded off ones. I'm not sure if they took this with the Hascam or what. Yeah, no, this is another part of the Hascam image. It's okay, a, that's what that. It's yeah, a, it, it's, it is. It's a crop it's from the, the other side of the image. Yeah, it's it just so interesting that that the right stuff there in the foreground, just the changing of the colors, the the shapes, just goes right back into it. With the pixels as small as they are, it's you know hard to speculate, but it's easy to speculate. Well, this is pretty interesting. We're not looking at JPEG artifacts, and in no. the background. Very, very interesting. So that that mountain, we're going to go. that mountain in the background on this shot is part of what's called the delta, which is why they say they wanted to land here. Because yeah, the crater was a lake. There was a river entering into it and exiting on the other side, and it created over X number of million or billion years multiple deltas, and the, the delta has been eroding, and so they want to go sample the organics and look for life because river deltas basically contain life in the muds and in the rock, and they're equipped now to actually detect ancient life. 
on Mars. Not current life. I want to get I'm married. Always ancient. It's always <laughs> got to be ancient. It's ancient. like it's like fine to speculate <laughs> about ruins in other solar systems, but don't you dare tell Elon there's something on Mars. Don't you oh, dare yeah. tell him that. Schizo. Yep. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to make up the yeah, t-shirt. I'd be happy if Joe Rogan was talking about me too. So. Okay. So, um, tell you what. Since your name was mentioned before, Ron. Uh, Ron. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mr. General. Yeah, what makes any? Go ahead. Take okay. us wherever you want. Yes. Yes. The scholar from the shadows. Uh, the well, you guys missed one in the interview. Uh, what did they? get around to discussing as soon as that topic of ruins came up, even though uh, Elon was trying to diss it, he jumped right in there. He mentioned Babylonian and Sumerian, and then Rogan was going, oh, yeah, you know, cuneiform. They were all talking about megalithic ruins. Now, if they haven't been exposed to the, what, the kind of things that we see, why would they be saying it that way? Why wouldn't they be talking Flash Gordon? Yeah, exactly. Didn't even occur. Didn't even occur to him. Even in Musk talking about leftover, discarded one planet civilizations that burned <laughs> out before we got there, you know, and obviously they're re- referencing Mars. Of course, the forbidden planet. Apparently, it's so forbidden that Musk can't utter its name, like the uh, you know, like Yahweh, the name of God. He cannot utter it on live or taped radio. I'm always very uncomfortable when people are scared of history. You know, I mean, this is part of our history. Well, we, we know the fix. Look, from the last 30, 40 years I've been at this, and a little less for some of you guys, we know the fix has been in. But the fact is that the most, the richest guy on the planet who's trying to drag us to Mars cannot utter the words Sidonia without a smirk and a giggle. What does that tell you? What is more powerful than the most, the richest guy on the planet doing exactly the stuff? that will take humans to to confront their missing, hidden, suppressed history. It's politics. Okay. So they're always, I mean, it's just who is allowed to have a say in the matter. It's not a question of who knows something, you know, they make their own judgments about that, but it's all about the presentation. What what can they do to the richest guy in the world except kill him? I mean, they try that. I don't mean Musk. And they miss. No, I didn't mean Musk. I meant you. See, he's made, he's crossed that barrier. They can't not include him because of his involvement with space and everything else. So he has to be careful about shooting off his mouth, or they'll start, you but know, why? This him is what I don't understand. What's the leverage? You know, worst case scenario, yeah, they bump him off. Well, he's got more money than God. He can buy all the security in the world if he's forewarned, which he should be. Um, this is this is so intricately convolved as a soap opera. Who knows what? Who can speak? Who cannot speak? I have a very strong feeling that the Chinese being in Mars orbit tonight with an orbiter, a lander, and a rover planning to land on Mars within a few months, it's like a ticking time bomb in the background on the assumption that there really are independent space programs on this planet, which I'm strongly uh, suspecting is not true, but let's let's go with that model. In the okay, real world, well, what did I... hang on. In the real world mainstream model, we in China are totally at loggerheads. You know, commies, horrible bad commies against wonderful patriotic Americans. That kind of stuff. In that milieu, the Chinese waiting in orbit till Percy lands 
I think could be seen as a forcing function. Because if NASA doesn't reveal what it's seeing, like just a quarter mile away, the Chinese through the back channels may be saying, well, we will, when we land, show what's really there. Look what they've done on the moon. Which means NASA has to come out with the right resolution, the right color, no JPEGing, and they just happen to land next to something they can roll over to in a couple of afternoons and look at in close-up. And again, in politics, are no such things as coincidences, and that would be one interpretation. The other is it's steamboat time. All nations, all apparent separate you know, political systems, whatever, are united on this one thing, which is you can't talk about it before it's time, and it's now time so they're giving us unvarnished real data on which they landed next to ruins. Okay. Uh, remember what I uh, suggested to you the other day that um, it you, you called it a forcing function. Uh, yeah, that's good. But the other side of that exact same perspective is that it's more of a contest and that they have the intent, the Chinese, of upstaging us because we have been the leaders in space. And they want to upstage us in every way they can. They send a bigger, more outfitted mission in the, uh, in the case of their package to Mars that's currently in orbit. And I think they're waiting to see what NASA would do. And then they'll say, okay, how can we upstage this? So it's the same battle, just interpreted a little, a little different. Well, remember, I really think we, there is a con- we have some foreshadowing because remember a few months ago we talked about the during the launch last summer of the Chinese mission, and then days later Perseverance, and then the United Arab Emirates. They've sent an orbiter, and we'll get to that because Andrew and I have been talking about some really interesting things regarding the UAE and their orbiter, which is called Hope. It can't land. It's in Mars orbit, built by a whole bunch of you know, UAE students in their own facilities, and they simply bought a launch from the Japanese, because why do you want to build a rocket when you can just buy one? Anyway. Well, didn't they, didn't hang they on, already hang on, use hang on, it to relay on. some of the pictures back? Okay. Well, we've only seen some a few shots, and we don't know the orbit. No, I'm saying they're, no, they're already participating. I think they were one of the two satellites that relayed the No, 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 no. No, the relay for Percy nope. is all American satellites. It's Odyssey. It's uh, I'm sorry, the European Space Agency is in there. What do you say? With Trace Gas Explorer, yeah, ESA. And, uh, tra- it was the Trace Gas, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then Mars Observer, all Western democracy spacecraft relaying Percy signals back to Earth. Okay, back to the political strategy. We know the mm-hmm. Chinese are planning to announce ruins because they, they told us back during the launch last summer – they posted a picture, uh, a, a model of their lander and rover in front of a backdrop that turned out not to be an artist concept, but they basically just stole one of NASA's curiosity images of an ancient ruin, an arcology sitting on a hill uh, in Gale Crater. And Andrew did a stunning side-by-side comparison, which we probably should put up, Andrew. So if you could send Kinthea a copy of that and she'll post it in your section. So we know the Chinese have been dangling like the pit in the pendulum, the, you know, the sharp edged pendulum over NASA's head. And I'm just wondering if 
if you look at the politics as straight, you know, competitive societies, but is it in fact a huge in crowd and everybody's been assigned their roles? And at this point, I want to bring Andrew back in. You were the one to first tell me something which I thought was stunningly obvious. If the if the uh, United Arab Emirates cannot land with its orbiting spacecraft, which has damn good cameras, what could they do that would support the disclosure of an ancient inhabited Mars if they're constrained to orbit? Well, <laughs> <laughs> they did, I believe, on February the 8th, right around Super Bowl time, a projection in the sky, in the skies over – the night skies over Dubai. They, they basically projected the two moons of Mars. Oh, my God, as yep. what's your name used to say. Yeah, that's number yep. eight. I think it's eight in your in your section. Yes, I believe it is. Let me uh, get back there. Where are we? Sorry, yep, folks. There, there it is. There it is. Number six, actually. I think it's six. Oh, it's six. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Never so mind. that's uh, yeah, yeah. So that was um, they projected it, and people were stopping on the. It, it was became a a viral incident because people were stopping on you know practically driving off the road saying. Hey, there's two moons up in the night sky, and and you know taking videos and posting it, and then they find out later that it was the government doing a little um, PR and a little promotion on their probe, Hope. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Richard, it was a like a big, you know, show again. Um, you know, here's another piece for you. They were projecting images all over uh, other monuments, like the tallest building in the world, the Burj. Khalifa building right. in the United Arab Emirates, and I have images there that show a crescent Mars. Oh my <laughs> God, that... look at that. Now, yeah. wait, wait, wait. See, this is really weird because the first Arab country to send a spacecraft built by students called Hope to Mars, and then they project the night before they're going to go into orbit. I think it was the night before. Right. And it was also in terms of Dubai time, it was the same night as the Super Bowl here, which brings up a whole other set of interesting things. And they project what is obviously two moons, sky of Mars, Phobos and Deimos. But look at the moons. They're not the current Phobos and Deimos we know. Exactly. They're uneroded. They look like the moons in the famous Disney film, John Carter of Mars, except they didn't put the Mars in. In other words, ancient moons before they were eroded when the civilization was still functioning. Yep, it's all, it's all, here's looking at you, kid. (laughs) Very good. Okay, Bob, Mr. Harrison, across the pond, uh, join us. What do you think of all this? Did we lose Bob? There you are. Unmuting, unmuting. Okay. Yes, it's all fairly interesting. (laughs) That's an understated British way of stating it. Uh, Well, I'm for um, as for the perseverance pictures, I'm waiting for the mass cam images. But I have been looking at the high-rise images of the landing sites. So these are high-resolution images taken from above by the Mars Reconnaissance Observer spacecraft, and the layout of the area is, you know, looks interesting. So we'll have to see. Uh, 
previous free rovers, curiosity, opportunity and spirit, all saw interesting stuff lying about on the ground that uh, was reminiscent of fossils, uh, of aquatic and land living creatures, uh, so complicated life, not mm. microbes, and of course uh, the odd thing that looked like eroded, corroded artificial artifacts. I'll tell you what, Bob, uh, we're reaching the bottom of the hour. Hold it there. We'll come right back to you. You're on the other side of midnight. We're talking about an ancient civilization, or actually more than one, that apparently Percy just managed to land right next to. Oh, my God. And other missions waiting in the wings. The Chinese, which if we don't reveal, are they planning to? And then the Arabs. Each mission representing in toto all racial and cultural groups on Earth tonight. And what happens next? Well, the next few weeks should be extraordinarily intriguing. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, February 20th, the 59th anniversary of John Glenn's Place. I remember vividly, I cut school that day, playfully, joyfully, started a notebook, and never imagined it would lead to tonight 
where we could literally be on the eve of an official NASA announcement ahead of the Chinese that there in fact are ancient ruins and some kind of succession of extraordinary ancient civilizations on the fabled planet Mars. Elon, are you listening? By the way, uh, bringing our panelists back on, I I, I wish Rogan had asked him the really interesting question, which is, uh, Mr. Musk, Elon, why is your name in Werner von Braun's book about going to Mars in the 1940s at the height of uh, World War II when he wrote it? How come you're in his book? And Mr. Rogan never thought to ask or doesn't know to ask. Okay, where were we? Uh, Bob, Bob, sorry, go ahead. Hi again, Richard. Uh, Yes, so if those three missions have found curious things lying on the surface, there's a good chance that perseverance will as well. Um, To to continue, one of the, um, of course, the main thing about perseverance mission is to find evidence, more evidence of past life on Mars. Um, If people... Uh, click on Bob's items, fast links to Bob's items, and scroll down to item number six, okay. which is. Scrolling, scrolling, I'm scrolling. convinced we found evidence of life on Mars in the 1970s. So this is taking us back to 1976 uh, when the Viking landers landed on Mars. And they had experiments to actually find existing evidence of existing life on Mars. And ever since then, the, uh, the scientists who managed those life science experiments has been convinced that the Viking landers found existing microbial life on Mars. So this is a blog article he's written recently. If people click on that. It's very interesting because he... Halfway down, there's a, uh, a list of bullet points of um, evidence that's come from the uh, other sources since then to back up the idea that there's existing life on Mars. But one of the bullet points is something that we've been waiting for. Yeah, Gilbert Levin, by the way, is the scientist who uh, yeah. who was – the, the principal investigator of that experiment. I, I, I was lucky enough to meet all those guys when I was hanging out at JPL, my Viking summer. I did not imagine that Levin would become the center of an extraordinary controversy where he, of all the Viking scientists, has claimed since 1976 he has found current life on Mars, and NASA has been absolutely, totally, adamantly convinced it's chemistry. They call it funny chemistry. And they built all kinds of elaborate models. And Levin has has been persistent, as has his assistant, uh, Patricia Stratt. And again, it looks like um, <clears throat> another one of the schizophrenics may be proven right. <laughs> I've got I've got to have a T-shirt made. I'm one of the schizophrenics. <laughs> yeah, see, he has been a prophet in the wilderness. 
Anyway, in the middle of these uh, bullet points, there's one I haven't seen reported anywhere else uh, for evidence of life on Mars. And anyway, I'll read it out. The excess of carbon-13 over carbon-12 in the Martian atmosphere is indicative of biological activity, which prefers ingesting the latter. No, wait, wait. And, are, are you talking 14 or, 13 or 12? 13 and 12. Ah, okay, okay. So, uh, in, so life on Earth prefers... Uh, carbon-12, and so you find that there's very little carbon-12 in our atmosphere. And so we've, we've discussed this in the past, the fact that, you know, for, that there should be evidence from uh, Curiosity rover about the balance of these two isotopes of carbon and the carbon dioxide in the, in the Martian atmosphere. And this is the first time I've seen it's claimed that there is this life indicating disparity. And I'm wondering why I haven't seen it anywhere else on the internet, unless he has sources of his own. So that, that's interesting. But people will find that a very interesting article. And if we go back, back to my items, clicking the, the back button, uh, so uh, items three, four, and five, which people can look at, are uh, linear posters. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I love number five. Yeah. You know what it looks like to me? An old I Nike. Never... An old Nike <laughs> sneaker. Although this is something that looks more metallic, I think. Uh, you know, if you see the... If you look at the interior of the... the well, it's got all kinds of complex like, geometry. Like a lattice, isn't there? Yeah, exactly, like a webbing or, you know, but it's clearly not a rock. I mean, come on, it's clearly not uh, a rock. So if listeners click on any of those three, they'll find that there's many more examples of uh, anomalies. So if you click on that one, you, you've got a, yet another anomaly below it, and then um, whether that's second anomaly is a fossil bone type thing, I don't know, or a, an, an artifact, and then there's another one below that. So, so all three of them are, are, are these sort of linear things that of curious things that are very reminiscent of, uh, of um, you know, artifacts and uh, artifacts and, and fossils. Uh, number two, uh, now we're talking about, uh, you know, in that Oh, we're back to Rogan. Sidonia. Sidonia. Back to Sidonia, talking about geometry. Well, this is a poster, people click on it, uh, based on the work of uh, Professor Stanley McDaniels, who's a professor, might be retired now, of epistemology, which is which is a study of how you oh find God. things out. Bob, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Remember I've been saying for weeks I need an epistemologist? I didn't think of Stan. He's at Sonoma State. Of course, he's retired now. But he was a spry guy when I knew him. Maybe he's still around. 
and he could come on and talk about epistemology because that's his forte, and he was one of the pioneers in bringing epistemology to NASA's data and showing how in they were incredibly deficient in basic scientific thinking in all their Mars pronouncements. What a nice idea. I didn't think of it until you mentioned his name. Wow. So that post, that post in number three below the, uh, the description of it, it sums up very, uh, very concisely his work on the, the bright mounds around these, uh, the arcologies that are close to the hill. Oh. Which then comes Possible to me, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. in 1993, uh, Dr. Stanley McDaniel, Dr. Horace Crater and others, and myself were all on the ARPANET. I found the Morgan curve. I pointed it out to them, and Dr. Horace Crater and Dr. Stanley McDaniel then discovered the hexad from that because nobody was looking at those mounds. So I'm just letting you know that if I hadn't shown them what I discovered, they would never have found that. So that's what they put in the uh, case for the face of the book. And if you click on the uh, Keith link right under the, the banner, that will take you down to his items. And number one is the pages from the uh, update in 2012, the Morgan curve, which is, of course, going to be in the book that we're still working on. I mean, we couldn't close out this Mars book we've all been working on until we got to now, because now is when it's, you know, you know what or get off the you know what. NASA has to either announce what's right over the you know, next door, just a few thousand feet away, or the Chinese are going to, and that's what this book will capture, this unique moment in mm -hmm. a 40-year-long history of NASA dissembling about re what's really on Mars. Uh, any, anyway, the, uh, um, you know, when they were downgrading the geometry arguments, uh, the hex, you know, the hex tag mounds, uh, really are spookily close to. Uh, yeah, Joe, if you're listening, hex. the geometry between these objects of Sidoni is not between a few rocks. It's between, in terms of these bright mounds, structures the size of the Great Pyramid in Egypt, and they're south of structures the size of Los Angeles or Chicago or Houston, enclosed in pyramidal domes so you need to do a little more homework right anyway people can look at that for themselves um if they go back to the bob's items mm -hmm. clicking the back button item number one is something i put on the website in this january which is another possible large Arcology. Oh my God! Uh, look at that. At, at Cydonia. Um So arcology is just to re recap a large, self-sustaining uh, habitats that contain populations, anything from a village population up to a gigantic city, as big as you want to make them, basically. Uh, so the area of interest. I've called this the new fort because you know it's. It's sort of the outline uh -huh. of the sink is sort of rectangular. There's a sort of rectangular hollow in the center of the thing, as though uh, a large structure is 
collapsed, obviously very eroded and uh, over millions of years. An interesting thing about this one, the second image in this poster shows its location in relation to the face, so it's far to the west of the face. Mm. It's, 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 it's inside that little red circle on the far left of the pan, mm -hmm. which is the second image down in, on your link. Yeah. So the third image on in the poster is it rotated uh, to sort of upright, so to speak. Oh, look at all those structural details. In wow. the interior, yes. There are all these higher parts of the interior, just some of them are more faint than others. Uh, so the fire, and you can also see in that one that there's this very narrow causeway attaching it to this three. Oh, yeah, look at that. Ground. So that looks a bit designed as well. And that <laughs> seems to be. Okay, I want to make one, Bob, I want to make one parenthetical comment. We've been focusing, you know, you and I for the last, you know, 30 years or whatever on these super big mega structures that. I, you know, termed arcologies after the work of Paolo Soleri. The stuff that Percy landed next to on the floor of this ancient dead lake, you know, Yazero Crater, looks to be much, 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 much smaller, much, 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 much newer, maybe <clears throat> a few tens of thousands of years old, and is coming apart in the most resistant parts of the frame, the grid structure that holds up buildings. That what appears to remain... But we're looking at successive epics in Martian civilization from very, very ancient, maybe millions of years old, to relatively recent, maybe a few tens of thousands, when Mars finally became uninhabitable, and the guys there came here, and the thesis of the new book is, we could be the Martians. Mm. So the, fi the final picture in that poster, just uh, in red, outlines the that structure we've been talking about, megastructure inside the, mm -hmm. the hollow. Um, you realize that so if we that, you realize that if we get into these things and we burrow deep enough, what's deep inside, protected from the environment, radiation, everything, should still be almost intact. Even after millions of years, can you imagine a galactic library accessible with our technology? Mr. Musk, are you listening? That he could take to Mars and then begin to decode. And it doesn't have to be in a star system five light years away. It's right in our backyard. And in the case of Phobos, if all that geometry on Phobos is artificial... <laughs> much easier energy-wise to reach than the moon. Well, the mission in perfect position to do that, I think, is the United Arab Emirates mission called HOPE. That's an interesting you know, projection. And I've got to, after the show, go look at the celestial mechanics, and I will actually post an orbit of the UAE orbiter, HOPE. And if they could adjust the rockets and do the right burns, they may be able to make a close pass of Phobos many, many times. And wouldn't that be interesting? It would be. <laughs> so that, that's me for now. Okay. Uh, Andrew, let's go back to you. 
because I think at the point in the program now, we should enter the concept of rituals and symbolism and multiple messages, like the medium is the message. Yeah. uh, Well, let me start at the top, Richard, and I'll whip through it because it's a bit of a narrative and I don't want to, you know, chew up the time. So my number three link is called Vatican Nativity Scene. Now, if people remember, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but the Vatican put out a very, very interesting nativity scene this past 2020 in St. Peter's. Oh, my God. Uh, I missed it totally. Yeah. It's Holy very, cow. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. That looks like the um, – uh, what do they call that? The Jed Pillar? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly uh, – let's go straight there. So it's a very odd nativity scene. Very, okay, very simply, this artwork was actually created between 1965 to 1975. Um, apparently, it was a student work of some sort. I guess it must have been a university or something. Um, the backstory on it is like, okay, there's a spaceman in this site, this scene. Well, we'll get to it. And there's, you know, they're saying, well, it might have been a reference to the moon landing of 1969 because, you know, this artwork was created during this time. It's also got something to do with uh, Jerusalem. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's just it's it's a it's a very strange thing. But let's just go through it real quick. So it's it's an odd, you know, assemblage of of, of imagery. It's very strange for a nativity scene. That's an understatement. The, yeah. There's Holy this, cow. Yeah, Richard. There's this towering totem-like angel, you know, Gabriel, you know, sort of rising above everything. And you're right. It's like a Jed um, pillar. And if you go to my number four, I give a little outline of it. Yeah, I, I got this this reference from a website called thevigilantcitizen.com. I'll, I'll put a, the, the link in later. Um, Kinthea can okay, add it for so us. We, so we want to click on four. Click on four. And what you'll see is it says Osiris resurrected. So what we might be seeing here, because that Jed pillar is like the ancient Egyptian s- ceremony. Richard, do you know this? Better? You probably can describe this better than I can. can you, or no, no, no. no. You're, you're doing fine. Doing fine. Okay. So, so in ancient Egypt, the idea was that the this symbol, this Jed killer, was basically a, a representation of Osiris or a phallic obelisk, and that they would raise it up and it would be sort of the male principle, and then there'd be like, um, I guess, a dome, which would represent the sort of Isis principle. Here in St. Peter's Basilica, the basilica itself, which is a dome in the background, kind of could represent that. I'm not, we're not, I'm not saying that it's Egyptian. I'm just saying it kind of harkens back. And in fact, in the basilica, or in, in, the, in the square there is, or in the, in the circle, is an obelisk which you can see in my number three. It's, it's literally right behind the nativity scene. And then I did, yeah, which I they stole it. many centuries ago, a couple centuries ago, or maybe a century from Egypt. Yeah. And so Richard, you have represented here in St. Peter's Basilica, the obelisk, which is literally sitting there behind the nativity scene. It's also represented by what well, looks like it could be Gabriel in this um, Jed pillar, the dome, which is St. Peter's Basilica dome and the star, which is, the Egyptian trinity for the serious hieroglyphic. Mm-hmm. Now I, yeah, and so I was sort of recalling our whole Utah 
you know, killer. I, I'm calling it now the obelisk because, and I have imagery at the bottom. It's my number five, and and basically that obelisk, that Utah pillar, which has you know kind of a pointed top, and it's sitting in a kind of a rounded womb-like valley. And actually, this the pictures I have don't quite show it, but in the background is kind of a dome-like ridge of the Utah, you know, upper Utah, you know, bridge there. Yeah, I think you can see it a bit in the second image to the right in your five. Yeah, and then, you know, if we could kind of say that that pillar was a the male principle or or Osiris and the female principle being perhaps the dome in the back or the you know, the the sort of rounded shape that the pillar sat in. And then we have these really odd image. Well, we have the image of the four guys that took or that took down the phallic symbol or mm-hmm. the obelisk. And then I added another sim, another image, and I think it's just a bit of a Photoshop thing. Is someone sort of, I guess, sort of pretending they're standing on top of the obelisk or the pillar, and they have like a stream of light. So to me, that's are we now looking at the birth of Horus from this union between these mm-hmm. two, right? So let's zoom out of that and let's bump down to what what's called my number five and if you if you go on that there's this part of the nativity scene at the vatican was this weird you know astronaut um with a presentation the hands are coming out and it either looks like a presentation or in this article that i read perhaps a birth and if you look at the image um it looks like to me a cratered something you know whether it's the moon or it's uh i don't know richard it's very very strange so you have this you also have this really interesting figure which is called the executioner now the vatican claims the reason why they had the executioner is this very odd looking this is part of their nativity scene yes yes it's very and and the the, the figure yeah and the figure of jesus was covered in a red cloak you couldn't even see it on on the night that they, they they presented this and and the figure of Jesus looks like a little cork, like it's it's totally insignificant. It's very strange. But this figure, this what they call the execution, the executioner, is a, it's a set. They say it's the Vatican came out and said, oh, this is a um, kind of a protest of ours against capital punishment. <laughs> well, if you kind of look at it, you're kind of going. Are we looking at a representation of Mars? Now, that, I'm really jumping out there because I have no idea because it could be anything. But Mars is, well, it's the god of war. Well, right? look, you've got an astronaut. You've got a celestial connection. <clears throat> That's unmistakable. That guy's an astronaut. Yeah. Exactly. What's an astronaut doing in a nativity scene? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the, this was created in the 60s to the 70s, and, and the, the story goes, well, maybe, you know, because of the moon landing and – Et cetera, et cetera, the Apollo missions. It could be a, a bit of a reference. But on the side of the helmet of this astronaut is the eight, the eight pronged star, which again is this sort of symbol mm. of the star child of Horus. This union between, you know, Jesus, right? Like this is the, the, the concept. So I jumped ahead and looked at, um, you know, the Super Bowl, which is always a significant sort of signpost for. Well, I'm sorry. It's for the world, and I don't really want to get into every all the sort of imagery there. But it, it was pretty dark and it, very esoteric. But what picked up from what I picked up on this, Richard, was this idea of this. Well, there was this. You know, if you look at my number two on my link for five, I believe it is. Uh, 
it shows these I, I, I took some screenshots of this what looks like at the beginning of, oh and by the way the halftime show, so this is so this is these are images from the halftime show from the Super Bowl and the main attraction was a fellow named Abel Tesfaye who's also known as the weekend he's a, a Canadian pop star very famous has very famous songs and he did the performance and Richard he put seven million dollars of his own money into this production seven so, tetrahedral dollars yes exactly <laughs> and it's weird symbology of like a descending uh, figure you know it could be a dark angel and then the weekend emerges out of this light backlit, you know, he explodes out of this uh, section. And what we see is this whole stage is quote unquote, a city with a whole bunch of these sort of very, well, they're masked. They look like little robots with, you know, choir outfits on. And, you know, from a distance, Richard, it looks like tombstones. It and looks I mean, like a city. cemetery, an ancient buried city, ancient ruins on the moon. Yeah, because the moon rises up. And again, I know we can start going, well, you know, it's a reference to the whole COVID, you know, year and et cetera. And people in cities suffered badly. I, yes, absolutely. Those images are there. But dig a little deeper. Back up a few days before the Super Bowl, we get the turkey obelisk or pillar or monolith, whatever we want to call it, with the words, what was it, Richard? Look to the moon, and you will see. I, I, I didn't have the image here. There was some um, Turkish writing on that obelisk. Do you remember the story? It was near Gobekli yeah, Tepe. Andrew, Andrew, it was, look to the sky, see the moon. There you go. Look to the sky, see the moon. And then later, the, 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 the Turkish government came out and said, oh, yeah, no, 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 we put it up there because um, I don't remember the reason. Maybe they were celebrating the 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 the, the mars they, they were launching a new space turkish space agency okay there you go so that was what they said um they did have armed guards around this thing immediately but people were free to kind of move around it and and again it was we were we had you know backroom discussions about this it was located very near toko gobekli tepe which is considered the oldest you know human temple on the planet etc etc and Again, you know, all of these elements come out. Now, I let's come out of that for a second. Uh, hang on. We're at the top okay. of the hour. Oh. Hold it right there. You're on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning are too numerous to mention. They're all listed on the other side of midnight homepage. Not in alphabetical order, I don't think, but they're all there now, including Will. We're talking about the Percy landing on Mars two days ago. The stunning, stunning, quote, coincidence of landing Right next to ruins. I mean, how could that possibly be true? It can't be. Unless they're planning to announce. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back. It is midnight here in the land of enchantment, here in the high desert, as uh, Art used to say. You are on the other side of midnight, and my guests, again, are um, grappling with the idea, which we've been preparing to kind of countenance for decades, that NASA's finally going to do the deed. It's finally going to announce. I mean, how... Given that they've landed right next to this stuff, how can they ignore it? Given the fact that they've got a camera that can spot a fly a football field away, and they've got a helicopter with two cameras, which can give us stills and HD video, provided people, audiences, those interested in what's really on Mars, let them know they can't avoid the truth this time. I mean, it can't hurt. So, Andrew, sorry, I was interrupting you. No, 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 absolutely not. Listen, there's so much here, and I want to move through it quickly. Now, the the performer, The weekend in the halftime show, calls himself the star boy. And that was another <laughs> reason. Why, yeah. Okay. And Richard, another thing that happened during the Super Bowl is that there was a plethora of commercials. Remember, during the Super Bowl, it's very expensive to get airtime. But there was a plethora of commercials that were space-related. Everybody should look it up. It's very, very interesting. Um, Chalk full of it. My whole point is is that they were pointing. They're pointing. They're pointing us um, you know, into space, into into what we're going to see next. I mean, it's all priming. We've talked about this. It's just literally getting you primed for something. Now, one of the big features with this uh, performer, The Weeknd, is the song he did back, and he actually performed it here at the Super Bowl, uh, a song that he made in 2017 called I Feel It Coming. It was a very catchy tune. It kind of propelled him into the limelight in a big way. And I have it here as my link number six. It's actually called for AC. What exactly is coming? Now, I won't take you through all the imagery here, but essentially in his music video, he's in a landscape that's very Utah-like or Mars-like. And guess what? He's standing in front of a pointed obelisk 
type rock <laughs> in a rounded area where he eventually meets some female Isis-like presence and unites with her, and then a whole catastrophe, catastrophe happens. What we see flashing back and forth are these stone faces, these stone sculptures that are somewhere in the landscape. So this, again, just like Uzi Vert, and I, I don't know if Grimes, who's um, Musk's wife, I'm not sure if she does this kind of material in terms of space stuff. She probably does. But again, Richard, this is hearkening all on this kind of space beings, the gods, this cargo cult. Again, Chris Knowles has come on the show various times talking about it, and we're seeing it repeating over and over again. You know, the themes are something is coming, something is arriving. And by the way, on the note of resurrection, so I was involved for the second year in a row in what's called the NFL Super Bowl teaser commercial. So it's the commercial they run just before the kickoff. And this year happened to be a very, well, it was, it ended up not cut the way that the director and I wanted to do it. By the way, I helped that, that production company and the director win Emmys last year for their, um, mm. yeah, they won an Emmy. Congratulations. For, yeah. Which they had to pay for, by the way, the director <laughs> had to go pay, pay for his own Emmy. So. But anyways, um, this year, the theme was about, you know, resurrection. And what it was about was the very famous American football coach, Vince Lombardi, who's, you know, passed away quite a while ago. But they sort of, we well, we resurrected him. He kind of did the sense, and it was basically his one of his inspirational speeches. And it was a whole series of images of him basically walking across urban and different landscapes across the United States, you know, quote unquote, meeting people, and then eventually arriving in the stadium in Tampa Bay, you know, to to finish his speech. So this theme of resurrection, this theme of something emerging out of this, it's all there, Richard. And we're, it's, it's priming us. It's pointing us in this direction, you know, towards the moon, towards Mars, towards our solar system. Wow. I mean, there's so many points of contact that, yell you know, something is coming and the interpretation, depending upon your, your, your you know, messengers, is different. Like, I think something's coming that's going to blow humanity's mind and kickstart them into, A, realizing that we're all one family, and B, there's a huge unknown out there, and we've got to all kind of hang together, or, you know, quoting Ben Franklin, we're going to hang separately, but it's not inherently bad or good, it's just unknown, and human beings being, you know, somewhat paranoid, they probably prepare for the worst. I think that's why... NASA named Muamua, you know, scout of a battle group or a war party. Because remember, NASA is pretending to be a civilian agency, actually, under the National Security Codes. When it was formed by Eisenhower, uh, it's part of the DOD. And it has all kinds of, you know, secure stuff, classified stuff. Why would you classify, you know, anything that NASA finds on another planet unless you suspect or know of something beyond. So our projections and our fears are going to come to the fore when any announcement is made, and hopefully voices like ours can bring sanity to an insane situation when we look at the current politics on the planet, and it will be a breath of extraordinary fresh air in a very dark and dank room. 
and Richard, if, if I may add, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier, that the three probes that are now at Mars, either, you know, in orbit or now on the surface, as you said, represent everyone. And they are very much like referring back to the nativity scene from the Vatican, the three kings meeting and arriving. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah. Or the three stars in the belt of Orion. Exactly. Yeah, so there's a lot of symbolism here, and I, and I know that we're trying to interpret all this, but it just keeps slamming you in the face now. It's not even subtle anymore. Okay, what's seven? If six is resurrection, what is coming? What is seven? Uh, seven, seven, seven. Uh, oh, okay. This was the the final images from the weekend's uh, video. I feel it coming. So in the end, uh, an eclipse happens. Well, look at this those is images. Yeah. They were talking space people. I feel it yeah. coming. Give me a break. Yeah. So that, the, the last two images are of who was featured in his video. He he works with a group called Daft Punk. They're a, 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 a Parisian. They're from France, a techno pop group that do, you know, kind of cool stuff. And yeah, so the, the narrative is the male and female aspects. So the weekend plus this goddess have come together. A great cataclysm happens, a great eclipse. She turns to stone. He turns to stone. Winter descends. The snows come. It starts to look like Antarctica or Pluto. Mm. And then along, along comes footprints because there's a glowing purple something in the snow. One of these space people, which is, again, Daft Punk, which is these two people, that these two synthesized guys, they, they make all the synthesis, you know, pop music. And they wipe away. You don't see what's in there, but it's this throbbing purple light. And they sort of break away, you know, showing the two of them sort of looking at each other. So, yeah, Richard, I mean, again, this is, you know, this is from 2017. We've seen many, many, many of these types of um, films, these types of music videos, especially coming from the pop artists, uh, whether they be rappers or especially a lot of the female singers. We get a lot of this. And, yeah, I, I don't know quite what's coming, Richard. You know, this is so incredible because I, I want to do one last linking thing. Then we're going to go back to Ron. Everybody go up to under the banner or click on, you know, near the banner where it says fast links. Click on my, you know, Richard item. That takes you down to my section. Quickly go down to number nine. This is how I also believe this mission is destined to be the disclosure mission. Because remember how you've been involving Osiris and Orion yeah. and, and the um, uh, reincarnation mode. <clears throat> Look at number nine. Look at the logo for Perseverance. And then look at the Isis hieroglyph to the left. Their, Isis basically is a seated chair, a throne. They've depicted the rover as a throne. And there's that star up above, which, of course, they claim is Earth. No, it's serious. Okay. And even though Percival is, or, or Perseverance is shortened by many people now to Percy, I noticed in the press conference on both before the landing and after the landing, all the team members keep referring to Perseverance as she. Why? Oh, interesting. Because she represents Isis in their minds, in their mythos. Anyway, Ron, 
Take it away. Uh, well, where would you like me to take it? Anywhere you want. Okay, well, since you just mentioned ISIS, let me mention that, that whoever picture that is with the um, uh, logos from Perseverance, uh, that little stair-step thing that's co- – oh, and the, compared next to Horus, you know, with the hieroglyphs, uh, that stair-step thing is called a djep, and it's one of the uh, forms of funny hat that the pharaohs wore. They had sur- they had hats that ceremonially represented various things, mm-hmm. and um, anyway, that's it's not there's not much extension needed to call that stairway to heaven. That's well, a, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean because of its re- because of its references in um, Egyptian mythology, mm-hmm. and for anybody that doesn't know what that means or isn't looking at the screen, yeah, you know those red hat wears on stage. Yeah, that's that's what that looked like, and that's actually what the one that the pharaohs wore looked like. <laughs> but see, except yeah. for the, anyway, the things on the bottom that look like wheels, there's nothing about Perseverance that looks like the throne of Isis. Nothing. No, it's all symbolism. Uh, okay, you want to look at some of the pictures? Yeah, sure. Okay. I love data, uh, as you know. I mean, we're making an extraordinary claim. Mm-hmm. So where should we go to look at images? Okay, uh, well, let me see it. Jump in, have everyone reload. Ron's oh, yeah, reload, 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 folks. Sorry. Reload, Ron. Yeah, I just – thank you, Kenzie. I just reloaded it myself. Let me see if you got the – oh, you got it on there. Okay. Uh, good. Let's start here. Thank you, Kenzie. Uh, one of the things that nobody's mentioned yet is that NASA is not only playing nice with us um, this with this mission, but they've been backfilling – their archives with updated versions of a lot of the older stuff. So uh-huh. you think that you already knew it was there and everything else. But when I went back to Pathfinder some months ago, which was always a favorite mission of mine, it just seemed like such a cool place they went. I noticed that they had completely uh, renovated the pictures that were in it. No trace of the old ones survived. There were a couple, I guess they couldn't, recover they didn't have the original version or something and data but these are completely redone there's a bunch of beautiful stuff there so hang and on hang on the way about, way folks you get to ron's page which literally is a separate page tonight because we have so much you go up to, hmm. the, to the banner look underneath where it says fast links click on ron and that will take you directly to his dedicated page of really amazing data wow well, well yes okay <clears throat> oh, of course it is <laughs> no, seriously, folks, uh, start with number nine. I'm sorry I couldn't give it a more hyperdimensional number than that, but this okay. is all, a, you know, we, we've been trying to do everything. Anyway, uh, I mean, Kinthea and the whole crew, not just me. Anyway, take a look at that picture of the most famous picture, arguably, taken from the surface of Mars ever, the picture of the Sojourner rover from Pathfinder bumping up against Yogi. Right. Sojourner was a little rover the size of a microwave oven. Right. And I'm looking at it on a small screen now. And I say, good. You can see what you need to. If you enlarge it some, you'll see that it doesn't look like you thought it did, that part of what you thought was part of it is actually another object behind it. You know, it's uh, it's obscure. And that doesn't matter by itself, except if you look at Yogi close up, you'll see that it's uh, got faces on it. And it's. Um, oh, my God. It looks like there's of- a wolf facing the. Uh- Facing the little rover. Yeah, there always has to be a reason why they name an object like that 
something. And the fact that you got Yogi and Boo Boo, uh, <laughs> the brown part, has to be a um, clue to something. So, yeah, they saw an anaphylactic thing in there. I see a uh, man at the top in the bluish, bluish section of it. But you can see that the standard explanation that that's the part that was underground and thereby shielded from the actions of the earth or the brown side was underground either way that it was knocked into that position that's just ridiculous anyway so there so there's there's many joys to be found looking at the older missions pages and you'll notice the blue sky and in front of it wait right wait wait, wait. Don't, 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 don't 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 pass that by you say that they're right. systematically replacing old images in the NASA archives with new versions Yes. And yes. this new version of the Pathfinder uh, data <clears throat> has a blue sky? Yes. They're rewriting yes. history. They're depending on yeah, the fact a, that no one's going to remember the red skies of Mars. And from Perseverance on, the official canonical sky color will be the real color, blue. And they're rewriting their own history to censor and destroy could we call this cancel culture on an interplanetary scale? Oh, please don't. <laughs> the uh, actually uh, truth and truth and disclosure here uh, that this particular image, as is sometimes the case, had I I had to increase the saturation so that you could see things better. So the sky's a little lighter than that. But even if you look at the originals, uh, you'll notice that the color they were working from and uh, I could waste our time explaining what the no no do no that. no they no usually go research yeah okay yeah. it was it's greenish and I think the sky tends to be greenish rather than the uh, a variation on the kind of blue we have well you know why so, but when I you know why you're going to tell us <laughs> well during dust storms on Mars which occur roughly every two years huge planet encompassing dust storms the dust is not red it's yellowish it's salmonish. So you've got a really scattered blue sky. You add yellowish dust to it. What color do you get when you add yellow to blue? Green. Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's a perfect lead-in. Now we jump up to number six. Okay, moving uh, back. Moving back. I was. Yeah. No, I wanted to um, represent everybody, and this is from ISRO. You know, the uh, Indian. Ah, space the Indian program. space program. Yeah, they 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 take a lot of pictures. It's kind of hard to find them, and uh, you know I'm not convinced they're posting uh, epic-sized uh, raw versions or anything. But they they put stuff up. They're very. But what you're looking at there are, according to them, this is not an interpretation for me, or the schizophrenic Mr. Hoagland. Uh, <laughs> this is the official uh, Indian government saying. Yes, they're concentrating on taking pictures of clouds. So this is looking down from orbit mm. at the Martian surface, and in between there are some uh, serious cloud cover there. I mean, this is not just a thin skin, thin skim of something. You can see those are some real clouds. So that speaks a little bit to the um, issue of whether the atmosphere is the uh, density that they tend to say it is or if it's a bit thicker. Uh, I'm tending to think that it's a bit thicker, uh, not necessarily Earth sea level, but a lot more than they're claiming. And they, I think it's one of those things they just kind of got stuck with, you know, when they were 
pitching the original picture before anybody went there of Mars um, on it being such a dead planet and it lost everything. It lost its atmosphere. It lost any water it had. If there were any plants, they died a billion years ago. You know, the whole thing. Uh, they were kind of stuck with it. You can't say that the air has suddenly gotten thicker. And you can find all kinds of anomalous data in the bits that have been collected by, well, Viking and Curiosity and Pathfinder. Uh, you'll find technical papers where they're commenting on the fact that the pressure level is uh, right at the surface goes up and down during the uh, day and night cycles. And so I think there's a bit more air there for the, um, the little helicopter to get a grip on. Now, right above that, since it's there, we got number number five is a uh, reconnaissance orbiter shot. And um, pretty much most of the width of the uh, frame, which is uh, on the on their strips, that's over half a mile and um, on the colored ones. And if you look at that thing there, yes, it's kind of a squarish area, but look at that long bar. Now, I don't know if that's a wall or if it's a very, very, very tall pole that fell over, but it certainly doesn't look like rocks or a geologic factor a feature. Uh, Actually, it looks like a long you know, golf club with the, you know, the, the, the face of it, the, the head at the bottom. Oh, good. It was probably used for the other picture up above, but we'll get to that in just a second. Oh, I mean, give me a segue. Yes, yes. Okay. Oh, you yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's posted. You'll see yeah. it. Um, hey, Ron. Yeah, the one right above. Ron. Yes. Upper right, I see a lion looking right out oh. at us. Oh, oh I'll definitely believe it. Oh, my God. Look at that. It's near the middle of the picture. All right. On the right. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, I know what you're I know what you're It's saying. a big pussycat. Cats and Mars uh, go together. Yes. And if you see those little, uh, those three little, it looks like three little bars if, until you enhance the, uh, enlarge the image. Right up in the upper right corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, blow it up a little bit and you'll see those are slats. That's over an opening. Oh. So there's something underneath there. So it's really the top of. Yeah, some, if you click on it, it makes uh, it slightly bigger. There is geometry there. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, that's the top of a building. Uh, and then you, once you realize mm. that, you see other stuff that is buried there. By the way, let yeah, me interrupt you, you again, which I love doing. <laughs> Ron and I, I do know. this all the time. We're talking. For Mr. Rogan, if you're listening, <clears throat> and he was so disparaging of the geometry, remember? And so was Musk. Giggle, giggle, ha, ha, ha. You might want to go back, guys, and refer to the 20th century astronomer who became identified with the concept of We Are Not Alone, Extraterrestrial Life, Carl Sagan, my friend, who said before he wrote his first book, Cosmos, or Cosmic Connection, rather, intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the geometric regularity of its designs. So if you have a problem with the schizophrenic, you might want to refer back to Dr. Sagan, who Maybe he's part of the same exclusive club. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, my my sweatshirt, by the way, says sociopath in training. So uh, <laughs> just I, I'm still I'm, I, I get new I get new lessons every day that I meet people. Uh, OK, number four, you notice is, is blue over on one side. Well, the blue is actually the full frame of the original. The opportunity had to take three pictures, but since it wasn't in orbit or anything, you could just sit there and go click, 
click, click with different filters. And so you get a technicolor effect. That's why they tend to have sharper, better color than any of the TV derived ones for the um, later probes. But in any case, I thought that just doesn't make any sense. And so I, so I tried a simple uh, color swap. And lo and behold, if you just flip those two colors around, which you can do on even a simple free little uh, image viewer like Earthen View, uh, you find, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. And you say, oh, that's just chaos. Well, no, if you want to, if you want bigger, just look above it at the, um, you know, at the, come on. I, um, we're all having trouble with this. So anyway, the picture right above it is that same part, the color corrected back part of it or top part. Are we talking the, number um, three? Yeah, my my screen just froze up again. Okay. Everybody yeah, number three looks It'll like an back. enlargement of the right hand side of number four. Yeah, it is. And that if you look Holy at that, cow. Uh, see Those the are buildings. See the, yep, yep, yep. Oh yep. my god. The, the, this is a late style Martian civilization, maybe equivalent to us to Earth before they had to leave. This is not archaeologies, this is not, you know, contained stuff. This looks like you know, an aerial photo of Taos, north of me here. Oh, yeah, you can God. see you can see doors, windows, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I relate I relate that to the uh, ruins that show up on the um, Jezero picture. Right. On the, I think there I think there's a relationship. There. You mean my favorite and, ruins? Oh, suddenly. <laughs> uh, at the moment, I guess it is. Yeah, we should name it. Um, Okay, number two is just so in case anybody hasn't seen it, it's an enhancement of the infamous uh, golf ball that was in the news a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. This is the one that Alan Shepard hit. Uh, he took two balls on Paula 14 with a, you know, kind of kludge golf uh, club that he had made right. special in Houston that, he, that they brought back. And it was on the end of a sampler and he could only use one arm. And he claimed, oh, they went miles and miles and miles. Well, some assiduous amateur citizen scientist in Britain who's writing a new book went and looked at original NASA imagery, and he found the golf balls. Right. One of them, at least. Oh, there are two. No, no, there are photos of two. And yeah. the, well, that, the brightest white spot is the golf ball. Yep, the one that, with know. a little shadow yeah. on the left-hand side. Right. The reason this picture matters at all is, A, the color of the moon, and B, if you go back a little bit, you will notice in those um, gorges, which are hardly even visible. Well, wait, wait, wait. Don't, know, don't, 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 don't pass up the color. Look at the color. Yeah. It's, it's the lunar surface, but it's sparkling. It's a multi-rainbowed surface with a trillion separate sparkles of red, green, and blue. It's shattered glass glass exactly wow and yeah and so that and this by the way was scanned yeah. this, this image was scanned yeah. for the backstory by saunders yes. that's his name no relation to tim um from nasa's original apollo hasselblatt archives suspended in liquid nitrogen in the vaults in houston so it's the best resolution imagery from Apollo you can get. And when you see the real imagery, the surface is not gray. It's sparkling, shattered glass. Oh, my God. 
Okay. Uh, two more quick shots. I'm having everybody jump around, but I they no problem. Said. Yeah, number twelve uh, is another one from this one's from Curiosity, and a few weeks ago, NASA posted a very very large. Okay, but hold it there. We, we are we are literally at the bottom of the hour. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, so hold it there. My guests this morning, too numerous to mention. They're listed on the website. You are on the other side of midnight, and the best is yet to come. I mean, tonight is really – is it, are those real ruins right next to, to – to I want to say perspicacity – to perseverance? And why does perseverance have a female persona to all of the team when the contraction sounds to me like Percival Lowell, Percy? The man who thought there were canals on Mars. And maybe he was right. You are on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And we are back. This is called a cold open because <clears throat> we don't have a lot of time. Ron, please continue. Ron? Hello, hello. Where did Ron go? Uh, I'm here. There I'm here. Are. I muted. Wow. See, I was, being, I was being a good boy <laughs> and muting so you wouldn't hear me crunching things. Uh, okay, number 12. Uh, that's from the... Uh, 3,000th anniversary panorama, as they called it, meaning it was the, uh, it was actually taken with frame or made from frames that were oh, 2,600 and something, but they said that they released it on the 3,000th Sol or Martian day of the mission. Anyway, uh, there's a piece at top out of the um, uh, out of the middle of it, which is rather nice. Uh, I think. Uh, Tim referred to it as the, as a Martian causeway, and it sort of looks like that. I don't, but that thing in the foreground of that is larger underneath, and I can't tell you what that is, but there's something like it in appearance um, in some respects. 
right next to the uh, Percy Lander. Ah. So whatever it is, there's more of it over there. See, there's kind of a it's I know it's not exactly the same, but it's a it's an a strange thing like that. I have this wacky theory, wackier than even most of Richards, uh, about that there was a lot of wood on Mars. And I think sometimes we're th- seeing things that were once wood. And I think that might be one of them. But, um, mm, you're make, this, this is your best case yet I've seen. It looks, it looks like cellulose that's been kind of fossilized. Yeah, you keep going and you eventually you hit one. You know, okay, let me see. What else is vital? Um, okay, vital is, uh, believe it or not, number 10. Okay. Now, that picture, and there's a piece of the page I pulled it off of below it, is from a very old, well, 1950s expedition paper of some people that went to Antarctica. And uh, Mount West Beacon Heights is a um, place in Antarctica where sometimes expeditions go. And they've got a lot, there's a permanent campsite there now. But I mean, look at the thing. What does that look like? Looks like an arcology. Exactly. It looks like a bunch yeah. of buildings. Now, exactly. wait, wait, wait. The canonical yeah. scientific model is Antarctica has always been cold. There's never been any habitation. Certainly nobody's going to build something that scale. I mean, this one photograph puts that theory into a cocked hat. Right. And that's why I included its origin so you can see the original caption underneath it, which, um, well, you read it, you'll laugh. (laughs) Um, That's the way they do those things. And for anybody that wants it, there's a picture of Phobos at number eight. I'm hoping for better ones. Uh, The... um, one of the probes on the way there took their own picture of Phobos, but it looks like a half-melted marshmallow. There just, I, there was no detail I could bring out. So Phobos is a whole story in itself, but uh, just so you know, folks, there's something very interesting about it. Uh, after all, uh, Carl Sagan got his start as a translator because he was fluent in Russian and uh, was chosen to do the English version of a fellow of a scientist in Russia who was named Shlovsky. And, yep, um, I.S. Shlovsky, who was and a, had, who, who was a um, progenitor of another Russian named Kardashev, who created the Type 1, right. Type 2, Type 3 super civilization scale that Freeman Dyson later promulgated all over the scientific community as an advanced extraterrestrial culture sometime out there or what we would ultimately someday become. Perfect. Well, uh, Shlovsky was so impressed by by Carl's work that he insisted. Uh, he actually asked. He said, insisted that Carl put his name on the book. So everybody thinks that Cosmos was written by Carl Sagan, but actually he was the translator. He contributed a lot. That's why Shlovsky asked his name be on the book. Actually, so that, yeah, so they on- actually, I think that was called the Search for Intelligent Life in the Universe. Cosmos was Sagan's own book. This was the one they jointly authored in 1966. Mm-hmm. And in, okay. the, in the book, Search for Intelligent Life, Slavsky published extensively on the potential artificiality. This is in 1966 of the two yeah. moons of Mars. Right. See, that's where it all leads to. And uh, well, it was earlier than that that they were discussing one of Slavsky's own papers in the White House. That was S.F. Singer, 
who was a science advisor to President Eisenhower. Eisenhower. I, 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 I met him. Singer was a genius. He proposed as part of a space program, A, the moons were artificial, and B, Eisenhower should fund a mission to the moons of Phobos. Needless to say, Fred was very far ahead of his time. Okay, and last but not least, uh, which ended up at number one, here's an MRO shot of another interesting place where they've been taking a lot of pictures, but uh, I had not really heard of it very strongly. Just zoom in anywhere, and you'll see lots of structural linearity and everything else, and that whole region, which is called Atlantis Chaos. Wait, wait, you're kidding. um, You're kidding. NASA's officially named which is obviously an ancient arcology with incredible destroyed geometry, Atlantis. Yeah. They have a sense uh, this of humor. Picture, yeah, this picture is just one of many, and even on this one. Remember, it's MRO, so it's a long strip, and uh, in order to get a decent Oh, click on it. it click on it. It bit. gets much bigger, and the geometry leaps out oh, at yeah. you. Oh, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Yeah, I, that's the first time I've clicked on it here. Yeah, that's excellent. Beautiful. Oh, God, look at that stuff. I'm saying this about my own picture. <laughs> but that's how impressive it is, folks. You should see it. You'll want to, you'll want to paper a wall in your room for it, and then you'll feel, feel like you're in a satellite just hovering over Mars. All the pictures of that region, this is for I, – I always think of odd, odds and ends that are the part that catches my interest. And in the case of Atlantis Chaos, they took 42 tagged images – that you can find through that simple search on the MRO page the, about, of that region. And virtually every one of them was taken at an extremely low altitude. Normally it's up around 170 some miles. Mm-hmm. It can go up as high as, high as 190 uh, in its various orbits. These were all in the 150 range. I mean that's low. That's uh, usually there's a oh that's really pictures like that. As 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 what's his name said on Apollo ten <clears throat> was really down among them. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, this is not as low as Apollo, of course, but it's uh, that was you that was it's... that was Gene Cernan. I just remembered. Oh okay, yeah, and it's absolutely mesmerizing uh, when you zoom in and look at it. it uh, even to me, I mean, you know, I well they photographed the hell out of this place. Why? Oh, it's beautiful. I don't know. And it's got this um, – well, the I geometry. It's the geometry. Remember the Clinton thing, you know, with what's yeah. his, who, his campaign manager? It's the economy, stupid. It's obvious. With NASA, it's always been it's the geometry, stupid. Right. I'd like to, I'd like to hear Elon Musk, who, of course, I have enormous respect for, uh, explain the heck out of this picture. <laughs> Well, as long as okay, it's not Elon, in the solar system, if, if you send it to him and you tell him it's of a planet circling Alpha Centauri, he'll see it immediately. If you tell him it's in our backyard, it's like, what? What? NASA what? There's that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I focused my new super secret special camera uh, with a telephoto lens on Cassiopeia, and I found <laughs> a planet circling a star that we haven't even cataloged. And lo and behold, what's on the surface? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. And the uh, apparently Kinthea has uh, – I don't know how she gets as much done as she does uh, – gotten the um, 3K anniversary pan or a larger piece of it up there. That's funny. Okay. Everybody so reboot. Look. 
everybody, you know, click, uh, you know, refresh yeah. on yeah, Ron's page. Yeah, and which, which now, oh, oh, you got 14. Yeah, now oh. I, yeah, well, let's. Oh, look at 14. Wait. You want to guess what this is? Oh, you what? Yes, that's uh, any me or them? Uh, no, Apollo you, 16. you. No, I'll, I'll, I, yeah. I will give you my bet as to what it is because there's a gun okay, turret lay, uh, on top. <laughs> oh, I, I gave it a prize as the best boulder on uh, the Apollo. In the yeah, Apollo except catalog. look at the Isn't look at the, the symmetry. That's not a boulder. Oh, That's I know. an ancient, no, I... ancient eroded tank. How do we know? The big thing cut off on top is the gun, and there's a smaller gun behind it on a turret. Okay, I'll buy that. It's been there a while. Well, until something better comes along, I'm 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 sticking with my story, and I'm stuck with it. <laughs> well, you know what? There, in in defense of that, uh, the. Uh, Ancients, even here, used to used to decorate stuff a lot more than we do. The sides of the pyramids, the Great Pyramid anyway, were once painted because they couldn't stand not to. Uh, those statues that you see in the museums that are just white marble and so beautifully made, mm-hmm. uh, they were painted like mannequins in a department store oh, yeah. originally because that's the way they wanted to see them. And in terms of uh, three-dimensional decoration, nobody beats the, that ancient civilization that was based on Mars. And so everything of theirs is – well, it would look crazy to us. But if you, if you look up ancient Chinese ships – remember, the Chinese used to have a huge fleet, which they used for exploring, and they went apparently all around the Earth. They circumnavigated that, the globe, and then they came home, and I forget which emperor basically – Kind of like a modern Trump. Yelled, he wanted to burn the fleet so they could never do that again. China first. Word. Yeah. Uh, no, he wanted to. He, he said, okay, there's, this is the historical quote, at least. I think it was the Yellow Emperor. Uh, he said, um, everything that uh, exists, there's, we've already seen it, and what we have in China is better, and there's no need to go out exploring anymore. And so they just abandoned their fleet. But up until then, these things which tended to look like uh, – well, think of your basic pirate ship, pirate ship or Korok, the, that kind of shape, except that they were painted and they had statues all over them. That was just the way people did things. So anyway, this, this uh, Apollo 16 shot here, yeah, it's, uh, I find it very exotic and interesting. But let's, let's – um, oh, and there's – just because we're talking about ruins on things, if you look at number 15, that's from Bennu, the, um, one of the square asteroids, the cubic asteroids that's been explored recently. No, and no, no, oct- oct- it, you... not cubic, octahedral. They used okay, to be octahedral, octahedral. which matches okay. the shape, the geometry of the moon rock that NASA and President Biden's request gave to him to display in the Oval Office in a glass case that looks exactly like the two-dimensional equilateral triangle raised into the third dimension of the obelisk in the Utah Canyon on Earth. Bingo. See, I knew, knew you'd add those parts in. The, um, so there's an example of it even on that. See, I have this crazy, crazy theory that the, most of those asteroids that they go visit, not necessarily all of them, 
but certainly things like uh, Oumuamua or uh, Phobos that we haven't actually touched bases with yet are in fact craft and that they were camouflaged by having a sort of an outer layer that look, makes them look like just a floating rock. Hmm. Uh, and I totally, totally, totally out. disagree. Totally. I know you that, do, and you have a, right. you have a well-spoken right. theory about Umumu. That's, a, uh, that's, another, that's another show, okay? Hey, we've got 15 okay, minutes fine. left. You know, Ron, thank you. This is an incredible tour de force. This is now open season, a part of the program where I want to hear your wildest theories, and we've got about 15 minutes less, of what's going to happen with Percy, the Chinese, the Arabs, next at Mars. I think we're going to see a continuation of what, we're, what we have seen. Uh, for timing, right, we've been off. We, we surely thought the timing is coming, coming, come again. But the uh, with the, with other countries up there now, not just the uh, you know, not just the ESA, the ESA, you know, Western satellites orbiting. We'll get a little something, something. Um, I guess it all depends on the timeline. Like I said, it, it's. I have a lot of hope that we're at it, Richard, but we've been here before, begging for it. So, they, not, they brought, not exactly, curiosity. not not exactly in the same way, because now never, we've got polar opposite political systems on Earth orbiting Mars, and the Chinese are waiting to see what NASA's going to do. I think there's amazing things going on behind the scenes. And this is this is it. My bet is this is it. And with the with the first new press conference on Monday, prepare to have you know your entire sock drawer disappear because it's going <laughs> to knock our socks off. I sure hope. I sure hope. So I know we I watched roll right by things that were obviously you know objects with the Curiosity rover opportunity with all these others before. So I wouldn't have passed them just to walk on by, but. We shall see. Okay. Uh, I'm excited. Anybody else? God, they're all so shy. You put them all to sleep. And, and they're not shy off the air. Okay, Ron, since you're up. Yeah, if nobody else talked. Yes. Um, the, well, I left one picture um, behind, but uh, that's a close-up of something that uh, Curiosity took. And uh, everybody... Can um, I'm digging out the number here because is it 13? Yeah, uh, it undoubtedly is. Uh, yes, and um, oh, and by the way, that is, I believe, the same Saul that the photograph was taken by Curiosity. Uh, that was part of it was borrowed by the Chinese for their um, oh poster. There are colleges. By the way, have we yeah. put that up yet in uh, Andrew's section? Let me go check because you have to keep refreshing. Yeah. I've got to go back. Oh, no, it was 844. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Saul, 844 people uh, look for something on the far horizon. And I think if I spotted it, uh, you should be able to. It's over near the right side. Uh, okay, just Saul, go through the images until it gets to what's, the... what's the number yeah. of the frame on the page? Oh, Do we know? I don't recall the entire. No, it's on the. We did a poster version, you know, when this uh, when this was first uh, determined, you know, um, 
and then Andrew did a did his illustration to clarify it. You know, for anybody that was right, having trouble right. looking at something in the back in the distance on a um, uh, curiosity shot. But um, yeah, I think the image number is on that poster. So oh, okay, in the archive right. somewhere. So that, yeah, but all right, we will sorry, we will post it in Andrew's section afterwards because when you see what the Chinese have done, it's obvious they're planning something that NASA might not like. God, you mean the well, Chinese think... are going to tell us the truth and our own guys won't? Wow, what a concept. Well, they're not going to hopscotch over what uh, Perseverance is looking at. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry I stepped on you. I didn't realize you were building up an outro before, but the uh, every newscaster that I have heard talk about this mission, whether they're enthusiastic, which most of them are or not, has been mispronouncing the heck out of that rover so there's, I think that's one reason they're starting to call it Percy, which okay. is, of course, a superior name for it. But, I mean, they're also uh, pers- uh, perseverance. That's <laughs> common. Really? And I'm thinking, wow. Yeah, <clears throat> I, swear to, I, I swear to whatever that I've, you know, I, I hear that ten times a day. It's, uh, ah. uh, well, because yeah, perseverance be- in modern society is a very foreign concept. Nobody sticks at anything except us schizophrenics. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, is it, okay. Come on. Well, Somebody else, Andrew. What do you What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I will. Yeah. Well, again, Richard, it's, there's just such a push now. I mean, I one of the things I failed to mention was they made a big hullabaloo. Am I saying that word right? About the International Space Station passing over the the um, stadium where the Super Bowl was played. There's just all this space related focaling going on, and it's just. It's either it's either zoning down onto the Earth or it's 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 projecting out into the solar system and it's I'll say it again it's a priming I've never seen such intensity as I do now and it's not just oh we're just putting a lot of things together no 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 there are like a ton of commercials in the I, I, I reference the Super Bowl because it's a spectacle it's a esoteric adventure every single year and whatever the meanings are and there's a lot of dark ones there's no, there's no doubt. There's a lot of stuff lacing through it. There's a lot of threading going through it, which is pointing us. I mean, one of the commercials had a floating car, for goodness sakes, coming (laughs) into some sort of gas station. It wasn't a gas station. It was something else. Look, this is happening. It is being primed. Everybody's being readied for something. And I think it's a step into the solar system for sure. And I think it's a heck of a lot more than that. Hmm. Mr. Harrison. I almost bought a floating car. Yes. Mr. Harrison, on the other side of the pond, what do you think us crazy Americans and crazy Chinese and crazy Arabs are going to do in the next few weeks? Uh, too early in the morning for me. <laughs> uh, I have no idea what might happen. Just wait and see. Hope, hopefully, very interesting stuff will be discovered. But um, I suppose seeing it's there to try and find at least past life that will soon have an answer to that question, you know, an official answer to that question, rather than, um, you know, stuff that's obvious to the rest of us that there's a very good chance that there's actual microbial life there right now. So that's what I'll say. Hey, Bob? All that green stuff in the pictures that uh, Ron was showing. Green obviously indicates something living, but that's what they took out of the cameras by rolling that out so you couldn't see the green 
So you would know that there's something there living. Oh, yeah, there's, there's something there, there. There was a lot of dirty, dark green and dark purple stuff being blown out of craters mm. and Gustav Crater. Uh, yeah. Hey guys, we got about uh, uh, eight minutes till the end of the show. We've got a caller or two or three or four. Right. Uh, why don't we take Benjamin, area code nine oh nine? Benjamin, you are on the air. Hello. Can you hear me? Benjamin, are uh, you there? Can you hear me? Going yeah, one. I'm here. Can you hear me? No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Benjamin. Hello, hello. Okay, he's not there. Sorry, guys, false alarm. Okay, um, okay, Bob. One thing to Bob, I just Bob, you know that picture of yours that we didn't get to with the uh, the famous femur lying in the sand. Yeah. Uh, I have another one. I found another picture of a different femur on a different uh, frame. I'll send. I'll send it to you. Oh my Bob. God! And you haven't sent it around yet. <laughs> well, nobody had a use for it. Hey, I have of course we have a use for it. We're building archives. <clears throat> anyway, yes, I would definitely well, like okay. to see a second example because, of course, NASA is completely dismissed. And we've had a professional uh, medical bone specialist look at it and draw it. And it's identical to any, you know, human leg bone you'd find on planet Earth. It's got ligament attachments. Actually, Go ahead. It's a great match for Homo erectus. Possibly. Uh, the curvature in it and the modeling of the top, you know, the mush, kind of mushroom shaped right. top there. Right. As, as someone with hip trouble, I know something about hips. That's what a Homo erectus uh, femur looks like. And you and found a, a second one? Yeah, there's another one. There's another one on another frame taken on a. Okay, see, we obviously have to put this in your section now because you brought it up. For the club 19. Well, I'm not going to put it in this in this show's stuff. We're almost done with the show. When the, when there's a show about no 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 uh, no no, you don't understand how this works. When we talk about something on the air, we put it in the archive so the club members get access. So you'll send it to okay. Kintia. She'll post it as your one of your numbers, and everybody can go and look at the second example of a human-like femur in a place where it doesn't belong on Mars. Yeah, there's a couple of little other bones there. There's a there's a clavicle visible, visible in one of them. Hmm. Or I could the, say I could say something. Or a, ver- a vertebrae. I misspoke. You know, vertebrae. You know, it's kind of a. Oh, I remember the vertebrae. Like yeah, yeah. From several yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. That... <laughs> yes. Anyway, okay. Somebody else talk. Yeah, Richard. I have one more thing to add. I know we're getting close to the finish line here. If this is the time beyond extent or extinct real life and we know that's a big part of the mission for percy but if we do stumble on other things the one thing that's definitely going to happen and we started the show with this is with the internet now there are so many shows and so many news outlets with more and more and more coming and they're going to need content and they're going to need people like the people on this panel like yourself richard like what rogan was referencing to provide content, context, and calmness because people are going to be shocked and awed if it's time, if it's time. So get ready. We we will find out if Brookings was correct when they said we needed 20, 30 years of acculturation. And we've had Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, 
you know, um, Stargate, Stargate, um, you know, the Battlestar Galactica, the every space concept you can imagine has been draped across our screens for the last, you know, two generations. If that hasn't prepared people for the ultimate announcement, nothing could. So one final thing, we got a minute and a half before the end of the show. Audience, my listeners, my wonderful, gorgeous audience around the world in 190 some countries, you have a mission should you choose to accept it. One is <clears throat> get on Musk's Twitter feed and say, why don't you show up on the other side of midnight? If you want a real interview and a real conversation and something that will blow your mind with real data, show up on Hoagland's show. And the other thing you can do, folks, send a note to Joe Rogan that if he really wants to find out what's on Mars, have the schizophrenic guy on. At the very least, it'll be a fun show. Good point. <laughs> you know, we are actually well, reaching. I'm, I'm quite sure I'm crazy because Richard is. So that, that's I. Um, I'm not even okay, going go to. I'm not even going to respond. <laughs> I've had a lifetime. Okay, go ahead. Well, guys, I want to thank everyone, uh, including the pop-in from Kintia, who, of course, started this journey for me because she created a 3D model out of a piece of NASA data where they lied and said it was only a trick of light and shadow. And so without her, we literally would not be here. All right. Tomorrow night, we segue. We go from artifacts on Mars, an ancient lost set of civilizations on the red planet and the imminent disclosure of perseverance to what if folks are out there waiting for us to take this major step? What if the whole Nimitz thing, the Tic Tacs, the Pentagon discussion of Roswell artifacts, what if all of that is a prelude to folks, our relatives actually showing up tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. And remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. 